Let's broaden our minds. Lawrence. One, two, one, two, three, four. Oh, this is disgusting. Why not? Do. Or do not. There is no try. I'm in love with you. Snap out of it! You act weird, we don't get in. Listen to me? Yeah. I want you to look normal. As normal as possible, all right? Look, just put your, Raymond, put your hands down. Go rock and moan. Four minutes Don't, to walk. Shut her. up, Raymond. Just shut up and stand there. Yeah. General, haven't you ever heard of freedom of the press? Superman. Superman, thank God. All right. Request vector. Over. What? Flight 209er, clear for vector 324. We have clearance, Clarence. Roger, Roger. What's our vector, Victor? That's classified. It's what? It's classified. I could tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. It was hurry. There's nothing to fear here. That's what scares me. Come, bloodsucker. You're gonna have to do your own dirty work now. Do you hear me? Do you? Ray has gone bye-bye, Egon. What have you got left? Sorry, Beckman. I'm terrified beyond the capacity for rational thought. I don't want a man like me to have the title because I'm not a puppet like that fool up there. You know, you've got a big mouth. Hey, I gotta get married. Hey, these aren't my rules. Come to think of it, I don't have any rules. Oh, I'm too old for this shit. Cigars, cigarettes, Eddie Valiant. Betty? Long time no see. Welcome to the party, pal! Wax on, wax off. Wax on, wax off. Hey, wax on, hat. Wax off. Incredible. One of the worst performances of my career, and they never doubted it for a second. I guess you guys aren't ready for that yet. But your kids are gonna love it. Greetings and salutations. We have gone back in time to the best decade that there ever was for film. I know Rob disagrees with me. I don't care. You can call me Shirley. And beside me, as always, is co-host, actually owner of the channel, but whatever, co-host, Rob. Hey, Rob. How you doing? Owner by name, but we all know who really runs this place. How's it going, everybody? Uh, Rob is battling his sinuses because... Springtime decided to hit Chicago land early this year, so Lego usually carries me anyways, but we'll definitely be carrying the bulk of this program as we break down all the top box office earners from the decade that was the 1980s. We'll be talking about highs and lows, all that sort of stuff, and uh, some of our favorite movies from the 1980s, and then I'll even bring up how some of the top box office earners compare with movies that won like Best Picture or something like that, because... Surprisingly enough, uh, they don't always line up. So there is that. And I'll be giving a little insight into the trends and maybe why some of these movies were so popular and why some others weren't. Interesting things. Interesting yeah. things. Although Rob and I are being, doing this all based on speculation as neither of us were alive in the 80s. We were not. We were born in the 90s, baby. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. The okay. Go ahead. 1980s. 
Reagan was president throughout almost all of them. So that sucks. Well, uh, I mean, he had good he had good ideas, but they didn't. Okay, wow. All right. We're starting early. And uh, just so everyone's aware, zero episode since Rob's been kicked out. That's right. I'm keeping a tracker now. So Reagan was president throughout most of the 80s. We have the Cold War going on. Uh, a very important aspect in terms of the film industry is now we have VHS. And, okay, there was a slight battle between VHS and Betamax, but I don't really know anything about Betamax. So I just know VHS won, and even now that's outdated. So anyway, we have home ownership, and we have rentals, which is another way that movies can make money. You know, I've not seen Neighbors. That is on my watch list. So I got this for a quarter at a thrift store, and it's it's. I saw it one time in junior high. It's fine. I need to rewatch it, but it's important because this was actually John Belushi's last film. So, hmm. yeah. John Belushi definitely a very big staple for the '80s. SNL in the '80s, late '80s, early '90s. Well, that's... peak SNL, peak SNL. Eh. Anyway, well, I'll begin with just kind of a brief where we left off. So 1979 is where we left off, box office-wise. Oh, wait, I'm so sorry. Hang on. Before I get to that, I made these lists back in 2019, and I based it off box office mojo pre it being bought out by IMDb. I did double-check with Wikipedia and the numbers to make sure these were the top 10. Um, if these are not the top 10 for every year between 1980 and 1989, take it up with the internet. I did my best. She wasn't there. She couldn't know. <laughs> wasn't there. I don't know. <laughs> Who could know? <laughs> anyway, um, so uh, 1979, some of our biggest uh, box office earners were Superman, Amityville Horror, Rocky II, Star Trek The Motion Picture, Alien, Apocalypse Now, 10. I've never even heard of a movie called Charlie 10. Just called 10. Oh, with Bo uh, Derrick? Jerk. What? 10 with Bo Derrick. That was a, so that was a very, um, so like that Farrah Fawcett poster that came out for in 1976 for the Charlie's Angels thing where she's like. Oh, yes. Like, the very iconic photo. Bo Derrick, um, have you ever seen the film Tommy Boy? So she plays uh, Mr. Callahan's uh, new wife. That's Bo Derek. There's a scene where she like comes out of the swimming pool and she's in her bikini. It's like an iconic shot. That's actually in the cover of the VHS tape. That's why that movie was so popular because, you know, we didn't have uh, free porn on the internet yet. So. Oh my gosh. Aha! Well, anyway, th those were some of the top uh, uh, box office earners in 1979, which brings us to our first year. 1980. Can anyone guess the top box office earner in 1980? It'll be really hard to figure out. It is a sequel. It was in the popular montage. Popular franchise. What? It was in the montage. Yeah. It's Empire Strikes Back. I'm sure we're all blown away. Who could have foreseen the top box office film in 1980 being Empire? Um, obviously, all the Star Wars movies have made like a ridiculous amount of money. Um, millions of dollars. Yes. Uh, George Lucas is worth billions of dollars. <laughs> Definitely made a lot. Um, I mean, in 1980, we were still seeing films not being released nationally on a wide scale distribution wise. We still saw like traveling film, which means 
it would be released in the big cities and then slowly the film would literally be moved to smaller theaters as time went on. So uh, films tended to be in the theater for longer and really relied heavily on word of mouth for people to go and, you know, learn about them and go and see them. These are the days where people actually picked up newspapers and looked at, you know, movie times. Did you ever do that, Rob? I've done that too. I did, yes. I did not that until, this um, century, <laughs> but I, I have until done like 2007. And then you could call the movie theater and they would have a computer that would read you all the show. Oh, yeah. My the theater I worked at was not that technologically advanced. And you actually had to talk to a person. It was very, very, very annoying when people called in, especially during like peak hours. Like, no, you have a you have a computer figure it out. Not, well, not 2007. Not everybody had regular. No, 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 I'm talking about when theater. I worked in movie theater. Oh, that's more recently, huh? Oh, uh, well, 2010 to 2013, maybe? Okay, yeah. All right, so everybody had internet by then. Yeah, yeah basically. Me my nose. If you had, if you looked up the phone number for the theater, come on now, come on now. Anyway, so that was our top box, box office for the year 1980. Some other films in 1980, um, 9 to 5, which I was surprised, but everybody loves Dolly. Working come on, that's hard. And that song is great. I love that song. Uh, Stir Crazy with Gene Wilder. (laughs) Stir Crazy with Gene Wilder Wilder and Richard Pryor. Uh, I really like that movie. And I love those two comedic duo. Oh, wow, Rob. It's fine. Fun comedic duo. Like, honestly, we're talking comedic duos. Gene Wilder with uh, Richard Pryor. Really high up there for me. Airplane, which was in the montage. Don't call me Shirley. Um, Any Which Way You Can. Never even heard of it. Private uh, Benjamin. That, that, that's the sequel to Any Which Way But Loose. Hold on. Oh, Coal Miner's Daughter, Smoking the Bandit 2. Hold on, you're going too sequel. fast. Wait, what was the name of that movie? Any Which Way You Can. Yes, that's the sequel to Any Which Way But Loose, uh, which is a movie about Clint Eastwood and a monkey. Like a literal, like a chimp. Uh, Blue Lagoon? I didn't Go realize back. that. You, you skipped over two great movies. Or I was... Uh, what was the one before Smokey and the Bandit 2? Private Benjamin? And no, not that one. Coal uh, Miner's Daughter. Coal Miner's Daughter. That's a great film. Have you ever seen that? No, that's uh, why I was breezing past on, it, bro. On that's why I was breezing Lynn. past it. Go ahead. Uh, Blue Lagoon, which I didn't even realize came out in 1980. That movie's so much older than I thought it was. And also, how is that a, one of the top 10 movies in 1980? Movie sucks. Uh, What's Blue Lagoon? It's it's with uh, the guy who has that really curly ass uh, freaking blonde hair and uh, that model whose name I can't recall. And they get stuck on an island when they're teens and they're there for years and she gets pregnant. It's I thought there was going to be a monster like Creature from Black Lagoon. There's no monster. No, it's by him. Oh, okay. Yeah, they're just stuck on the on an island. I watched this whole movie waiting for a monster, and finally, we're getting to the end. I'm like, okay, I'm starting to think there's not going to be a monster, and why am I watching this? You must have and been so the, disappointed. Uh, yeah. And the last movie from 1980 is Blues Brothers. Uh, yeah. It's honored Blues. six miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. It, we're on a mission from God. Are you guys police? No, ma'am. We're musicians. <laughs> uh, I love Carrie Fisher's Carrie Fisher's uh, role in that film. Like, 
I love ten everybody. Ten. Brooke yeah, Shield. Everybody. Yes, thank you. In Blue Lagoon, the models, Brooke Shields. Thanks, John. That's, oh, that's probably why so many people went to see it. I got it now. Again, Figured there was out. no free porn on the internet yet. So. Came to me. Thank you, Rob. Exactly right. <laughs> okay. Uh, 1981. Highest grossing film. It's a little similar to the to the 1980 highest grossing film. Little little similar. Not quite the same. Oh. It it might belong in a museum. Raiders. It does belong in a museum. Uh, you know, Lucas and Spielberg were really the 80s for sure. Oh, big time, big time. Definitely. And I mean, and everybody's got to remember, you know, when Raiders of the Lost Ark came out. I mean, again, there was no. Movies were not made back then like they are now where they go, okay, you know, we're going to launch this. It's the start of a new franchise, blah, 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 blah. No, they weren't using the word franchise in 1980. Right. So because, again, you know, it's not called Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. The film is called Raiders of the Lost Ark. You get to the second and the third one, and it's Indiana Jones and blah, 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 blah. This, you know, again – did Lucas and Spielberg probably would they love to to go? Yeah, we you know we'd like to make ten of these movies, but they they were able to make one film and see how that worked. And at the time, most people like the only thing Harrison Ford really had done that was notable, other than his part in American Graffiti, was playing Han Solo. So this was a big thing, you know, to take to take somebody that was again Empire Strikes Back came out the year before, you know. And but Star Wars came out in 1977 was the, the biggest I, movie ever. I understand, but here's a here's a major Hollywood actor who was taking on his second major franchise, you know, back to back. And again, franchises were a new thing, kind of sorta. I mean, you had like the Dollars trilogy with Well, he Eastern. wasn't taking on a franchise, he was taking a role in a movie, and actually he wasn't even the first choice. And I personally would have preferred Magnum PI. No. No. Yes, I got a point. Tom Selleck, I would like Raiders ten times more than I do now. If it was Tom Selleck, said what I said. Hot take, hot take. Um. Well, anyway, after Raiders, come. Well, I guess we should walk back a little bit and say for 1980s was kind of the decade of the blockbuster. I mean, Jaws kind of really started it in 1975, but the 80s like freaking perfected they doubled like those down summer on blockbusters yeah. in the 1980s hit after hit after hit like really great freaking nostalgic films and when it comes to nostalgia i don't think there's any period that we have nostalgia for like the 80s which is interesting. the 70s are you kidding me and the 60s that's what i have nostalgia for no, I'm not talking about you personally, Rob. I'm talking about what we see. Do you see a lot of movies? I I know one movie, The Love Witch, which is an, a love story to the 70s. Look Most things that. we see are Look absolutely that. paying homage to the Here's 80s. Advice. You named two things. Do you know how many things I can name that are an homage to the right, 80s? Yeah. Okay. What an argument point, though. Okay, so uh, after Raiders, we have On Golden Pond. Never even heard of it. Superman Two. That tracks. On Golden Pond. <laughs> That's Henry. Uh, um, Henry Fonda and Rob. Kevin. Do you want to pull up the thing so we can read this together? I'm looking at it. It's right there. Hi. Um, Superman Two, which makes sense. Superman was such a big hit. Uh, we have Arthur. 
Stripes. Yep. The Cannonball Run. Chariot on Fire. Chariot. For Your Eyes Chariot. Only. The Four the Seasons. Movie, the movie was actually called Chariots of Fire. That's what won Best Picture for that year. Uh. And Time Bandits, which is Terry Gilliam film, I believe. Correct. George Harrison yes. did the music for it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, can I take 1982? No. Oh. No, you cannot. Yes, ma'am. The year, it's the summer of Spielberg. Oh, yes. We have two Spielberg, Spielberg hits, back to back. They came out a week apart, and I have a whole theory that E.T. is the reason that the poltergeists came to be in poltergeist like that's why they awoke because of all the disturbance from the aliens it's very interesting it's on my channel if you care to watch it question yes steven spielberg didn't direct poltergeist no tobe hooper did supposedly but he was on set because they had a lot of issues on et and they had a whole production for two weeks so there is a theory which honestly i don't believe to be true that steven spielberg like backseat directed Poltergeist, but he also produced Poltergeist. It's Amblin Pictures. Right. And it still has a very Spielberg year. And like it has his name all over it. Yeah. There's a really cool picture that has like all the kids from both movies um, sitting together with Spielberg. Were they both Universal Pictures? I don't know. They're Amblin, they're Spielberg. I don't know. Well, I, don't I know E.T. was a Universal picture. I assume, yes, maybe. But anyway, yes, Poltergeist. Poltergeist. Yeah. Never seen it. Would like to. You've never seen Pol oh, yeah. okay. Anyway. My long so promises to you. I will watch it before we do our 1980s episode. So E.T. and Poltergeist were two of the highest grossing films of 1982. We also have Tootsie. Good movie. Officer and Gentleman. Great movie. Love Rocky 3. Up where we belong. Rocky 3 is a phenomenal movie. Oh, my God. Rocky being okay. limits. A new guy, young kid in town, Clubber Lang shows up, tearing up all the fools. Rocky's got to fight. And now that he ain't got Mickey by his side, he's got to, you know, reach out to an old friend of his, an old foe, if you will, and bring in Apollo Creed to help him train. Oh. Beyond that, Porky's. Mm. Star Trek Two: The Wrath of Khan. Khan. Yes, that's just me. That's fine. I've never seen. I've Whatever. never seen any of the original Star Trek. The only Star Trek movies I've seen are the three new ones, and I watched them in 2019 because my sister had them all on DVD, and I was house sitting. Anywho, 48 hours. Um, with I can't think of his name. Nick Nolte and Eddie Murphy. Yes, Eddie Murphy. Could not pull up. Uh, then we have. I'm not going to say the title for that one. And Annie. What was the number nine? The best whorehouse in Texas. I've seen that movie. It's a good movie. Is it one of those ones because they didn't have internet back then? Kind of, sort of, yeah. But okay. it's it actually got some drama to it. It's actually a pretty well. It's actually. A but if you were well just looking at the title. Oh yeah, no, it would definitely be like that free porn there. Um, okay. <laughs> but uh, I need to rewatch that movie. I've not seen it since I was thirteen. So that was the last time I saw that movie. I, I want to say Burt Reynolds is in it. Best whorehouse. Mm -hmm. Okay, moving on to 1983. You guys would be so surprised. Wait, wait, wait. I was first. Wait, time out. First of all, oh, a major mistake. That. Major mistake. 
how the fuck was First Blood not in the top 10 box office films of 1982? One of the greatest films in the pantheon of film. John J. Rambo. Uh, the sequel is in for the year that it came out. And Dolly Parton. Da- Dom DeLuise wasn't also in that movie. Go ahead. Go ahead. I just said the sequel was in for the year that it came out. Oh, cool, cool, cool. Uh, kind of showing, well, I'll talk about it when we get there. We'll anyway, get 1983. You'll never guess what the highest grossing movie of 1983 was. was you it, was rock it, your mind. Was it Star Wars? It was Star Wars. No way. Who could have seen it? Wow, Rob, you were really, you're really on the ball. You thought I looked at your website page. Almost. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, 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 yeah. Everybody everybody loves them, them, them Star Wars pictures. Uh, the second one, I was surprised. Terms of Endearment. I didn't realize people love that movie so much. Yeah, one best picture for that year. Crazy. Yeah, crazy, crazy, crazy. Shirley McQueen um, and Jack Nicholson. And I think mm-hmm. Deborah Winger? I don't know who people's was, names. Who was the other girl in it? I don't know. I don't know people's names. Flashdance was number three. Oh, my God. When was the last time you saw Flashdance? I've seen it once in the 90s. I don't like those movies. Like, She's hot. Ugh. First of all, Jennifer Wills, hot with a capital H O T T. And What a Feeling is one of the not best songs of the 80s. Is that like was that written for the movie or did it exist? Okay. Yeah. Um it's like again, like me as a music critic, it's not one of the best songs of the 80s. There, trust me, there's much better songs. But like you want to talk about like fun music to put on at a party, that's top 20 80 songs right there. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure, sure. Okay, moving on. Uh, Trading Places, it's fine. Directed by John uh, Landis, starring Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy. It's an okay movie. War Games. With Matthew Broderick. I hated that yes. movie. You what? I hated that movie. You hate it? Yeah. But Joshua. Is that the name Come of the computer on. system? What? Is that the name of the computer system? No, it's the password. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. They defeat it with tic-tac-toe. Real. Real. It's I'm sure so, you like this one. so non-real, like unrealistic. That's why I didn't like it. I can't. It's a mo- Okay. <sighs> Octopussy. Go ahead. So, uh, well, no. Here's So you had mentioned For Your Eyes Only up, up top. Um, Octopussy is really where, at this stage of the game, they were out of novels per se to adapt from the James Bond or from the Ian Fleming catalog of James Bond films. They had, had done all of them for eyes only was the last major title that was adapted from a book. And I think Octopussy might've been from like a short story uh, with James Bond, but needless to say, that's really what started. I mean, again, I think Moonraker is where James Bond started getting kind of campy. Uh, oh, for, for your that's eyes, only, what that a movie more, is. A little more serious, but what what's that? I didn't know Moonraker was a Bond James film. James Bond film from 1979, yeah. Um, it was also in the top 10 highest grossing movies of that year. Which, which it would be because it's a Bond movie. But that, so that being said, once Octopussy came out, and there was a clip up top, real short clip of it, that's to me where that one in A View to a Kill was like, oh, like, God, this like... 
what happened to, you know, masculine James Bond who smokes cigarettes and gets drunk and drives fancy cars and doesn't give a shit. And we got like this goofy James Bond for a while. That being said, Timothy Dalton was the most underrated James Bond, well, other than George Lathenby, the most underrated James Bond actor ever, really turned things around with The Living Daylights and the follow-up, which is one of my favorite movies ever, is License to Kill. So, James Bond rant. Okay. Moving on to other films from 1983. Sudden Impact. Never heard of it. The fourth, the fourth in the Dirty Harry franchise. Uh, that you one Clint Eastwood that. actually directed. That's the Dirty Harry movie with um, Go Ahead, Make My Day. That line hey, came Rob, from that movie. What's that? Ask me if I know what Dirty Harry is. Go on. Do, do you know who Dirty Harry is? Dirty Harry Callahan? LA's best police detective? I somehow doubt that. Well, I mean, first of all, I, can we just, can Clint Eastwood just run for president? Like, seriously. Wow. Okay. I'm, I'm done. That's it. I'm over. I'm through. Uh, all right. Uh, staying alive. Do you know what that, do you know what that movie is? That is the sequel to Saturday Night Fever. Um, in this one, John Travolta is more of a like a like an eighties dancer, kind of similar to Flashdance. Um, Sylvester Stallone actually directed uh, Staying Alive. Yeah. Well, now we get to a movie I love, Mr. Mom. With Michael Keaton. Yeah, so fun, such a funny movie. Never saw great. it. A lot of great little bits. I definitely see why this is a top nine. And then 10, I fucking hate Risky Business. Ugh. It's like Reagan nomics, but for teenagers. Well, there's one There's one good thing about Risky Business. I mean, Bob, soundtrack. Bob Seger's record sales went up, and anytime you can help out. Also, the you know who did the time. score for Risky Business? No. My personal favorite band, Tangerine Dream, which no also did the store. Score for Legend, which also stars Tom Cruise. Never saw Legend. I don't think you'd like it, but oh, you should watch it though. Um, one great music again, Tangerine Dream. It's directed by Ridley Scott. It does have a unicorn in it. I'm curious to know what's up with Ridley Scott and unicorns. And Tim Curry's in it. You've probably seen the imagery of him. He looks like a devil. He has these giant yeah. horns. Huge, yeah. Um, that's what that movie. That's that's where that's from. Uh, so I watch it just for like the the makeup and costume design is really amazing. Rebecca De Mornay is hot, Andrew. I know. Okay, you can you can look down on me. I know. Right. Moving on to nineteen eighty four. I was surprised for the top. I think nineteen eighty four for me like best year in movies for like the movies that I like. Um, it just has so many great films. But also, I was so surprised what I got for the highest earning like movie that year because it's not Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters is too. The highest grossing movie of 1984 was Beverly Hills Cop with Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy was like so big in the 80s, I never even realized how big he was. You're right. Spielberg and Eddie Murphy could do no. Ben Lucas. And Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford made a lot, like the bulk of his career that people know him for. I mean, The Fugitive, yes, was amazing. It came out in the 90s, but. The bulk of Harrison Ford's, you know, well, we're gonna get well next year. We'll we'll see who else is having a good good decade. Uh, but a lot of SNL guys are having 
a pretty good, like, big time. Uh, anyway, so then we go to Indiana Jones Temple after we get past Beverly Hills Cop and Ghostbusters. I don't need to talk about Ghostbusters. You all seen Ghostbusters. Y'all love Ghostbusters. We, we know all, what it is. If you're new to this channel, welcome. We're glad you're here. Uh, this awesome person to my left or right or whatever it is. Uh, major Ghostbusters fan. Loves all the Ghostbusting, all of it. Did you like the 2016 Ghostbusters? She didn't like the 2016 Ghostbusters. No, 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 no. Yeah, not at all. Not at all. Afterlife was okay. Afterlife. I like, I'll, hot take. My rankings, Ghostbusters, the first 75 episodes of the real Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters 2. The real Ghostbusters is the... Animated. Correct. Um, I didn't really like why Slimer. The, why, why the only the first 75 episodes? Because after that, the studio made um, they make a lot of like decisions and change a lot of things, and it turned to shit. Oh, right. Oh, um, yeah, and then I would do Ghostbusters Afterlife. And I did like it. So this is not like I didn't like it. It's just of the things that I like, it's just at the bottom of like. So it goes one, the first 75 episodes of the real Ghostbusters, two, Afterlife, and then the rest of the episodes of the real Ghostbusters? Yeah. Okay. Were there any well, other then animated? I into dislike. I dislike the rest of the episodes of the real Ghostbusters, except for a few scatterings. And then, uh, and then it gets to like, I did not like the 2016 one. Did they change, did they change any of the voice actors in the, Oh yeah, that was the big yeah. issue. Um, do you know the name of the guy who plays uncle Joey in full house? It's like Dave Coulier yeah, or whatever. Dave Coulier, yeah. Right. So he came and replaced Lorenzo music for the voice of um, Stans, who's Bill Murray's character. Bill Murray famously did the voice of Garfield, replacing Lorenzo Music, which is a whole funny thing. But they really do sound alike. And like, w- like when you hear the voice, you're like, oh yeah, that's Garfield from Garfield and Friends. It's, it's yeah, very, yeah. very distinct voice. Wait, Dave Coulier did Garfield on Garfield and Friends? Or no, Bill no, no, Murray? no, Lorenzo Music. Lorenzo Oh, so and Lorenzo they- sounds just like Bill Murray. Yes. And they replaced Lorenzo Music with Dave Coulier. And, like, the whole character really changed, too. Um, They also changed uh, Janine's design and characterization because they didn't like that she was, you know, such a, like, a badass chick. Um, They made her more feminine. And, like, they rounded her glasses because they thought, like, kids don't like pointed glasses. I don't know. They did a whole bunch of them. And they made um, Slimer a lot more prominent. I don't know what it is about people thinking if you're making a movie for kids, they need to have a stupid sidekick, but like they do, and that's not necessary. And so many like ratings show that like kids don't like that shit. So I don't know why they keep doing so it. So it was it's a sidekick and then it became a like the main character. Okay. Mm-hmm. This has been uh this has been a Ghostbusters moment brought to you by Vegan Water. So that's not definitive. That's just a rumor, Jimmy. Come on. Anyway, so that's been a, a, a Ghostbusters rant. But the first 75 episodes of the real Ghostbusters, if you can find it, totally worth the watch. Like the, Are they hard honestly, to find? The writing, so good. So good. Are they hard to find? Are they out on DVD? They were on Netflix. They are no longer. Mm. CC. Mm-hmm. All right. 1984. All right. Okay. So we've gone past Beverly Hills Cop, Ghostbusters, Temple of Doom. I mean, I was Which, surprised. Let's so 
as a side note, those of you that aren't aware of this, it was the movie Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom in which why they created the PG-13 rating the next year. Well, it was uh, a kind of a combination of things. Because also Gremlins, which is the number oh, we're gonna four. Get to, we're going to get to that. But there's a scene in Indiana Jones where they pull out somebody's heart. And it's like, yeah, is this PG? But it's not R because there's no nudity or F-bombs. But it's not, uh, you know, for kids per se. Go ahead. Wait, it's so a side note. Um, everyone's seen the episode of Family Guy where they say, who sings You're So Vain? Carly Simons? Oh, hey, you got one, right? Yeah. Hey, hey, I know some things. So Carly Simon's song, You're So Vain, um, Family Guy, imagine that it's about um, Don Knotts. It's about And Mick that's Jagger. definitely my headcanon as well. It's about Mick Jagger. By the way, Keith Richards for president. Let's make it happen. 2024, baby. Yeah, all right. <laughs> okay. So after that, we have Gremlins. I'm a huge Joe Dante fan. Like the Burbs. Gremlins one and two. Like, if you don't like Gremlins two, let's have a conversation about it. Like, what what happened to you in your childhood that made you so sad that you don't like Gremlins two? I don't get it. I'm and when she, says, when she says, "Let's talk about it," she'll just tell you why you're wrong on why you don't like. That's that. not true. Open discussion, safe space. So rude, Rob. I've never seen the Gremlins. Movies. I'm not saying I'll dismantle your arguments and make you feel like you don't know what emotions are, but you know, I'll at least let you go first. Dang. Um, but yes, Gremlins is so good. And can we just like give a shout out to animatronics? You know what I mean? Like, like all, all, like everything in all these movies, like not CGI, like they had to come up with ways to do all this stuff, man, way to go. Yeah. And I think that's why these movies hold up so much better than more recent films, which utilize CGI sometimes too much. Because after a few years, everything just ends up looking outdated. Which, if you use practical, it doesn't. A unless you're Peter Jackson with the Lord of the Rings trilogy, because the CGI holds up. Because there's not a lot of it. I did a lot of practical on that. They did. Um, I don't necessarily like the the whatever filter he had going on, but that's a whole different. The whole different. like the real Earth Tony filter. No, no, not color filter. Like it looks like he used a bloom effect. Like things kind of glow. I don't know. I don't oh, like it. Anyway, yeah. uh, did we get the Karate Kid? I'm not personally a big fan Wax of Karate on. Kid. Wax off. You know who directed the Karate Kid? John Allison, who also directed Rocky. Very important. But anyway, I know Cobra Kai is really popular, and this movie had like three sequels. So popular. Then we get to the police academy. Now, I personally love, love police academy. Police academy is so fun. I mean, you got your Steve Gutenberg. You got, uh, oh God, is his name Steve Winslow? I hope his name, it's not Steve Winslow. It is Steve Winslow. I'm really bad with names. I don't know. There's so many funny people and there's so many great little bits. I could probably, you know what? When you get into like the sequels, when they bring in Bobcat Goldwaith, yes, yes, simply yes. Police Academy, I like that so much more than Airplane. I mean, when you think about those movies, I think the reason that something like Police Academy works so much better than something like Airplane is because Airplane really relies on a lot of comedy that's time sensitive. So I watched it with someone who was older than myself 
And there were so many times where she was laughing that I was like, I don't get this. And then she said, it's a reference to like this commercial or this thing that's not around or that thing that's not around. And I'm like, okay, that's great. So this isn't a movie I can watch and understand except until we get to like the blow up doll stuff where it's like, okay, that's kind of timeless. Police Academy is a comedy that's rather timeless. So I think it still really holds up so much better than something like Airplane because you don't need to know all those references from an era that you weren't around in. And it's not like, I mean, when you get to stuff like, oh, this Coke commercial, that's not something I'm going to learn about. Like, when would that have ever come up in, in my life that I would have learned about that? I'll talk more about this when we get to uh, 85. Okay. Okay. Um, we Romance. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Footloose. I fucking love Footloose. <gasps> Robbing like Footloose? Why? It is, a, it is such an 80s snooze fest. It is absolutely ridiculous. And the remake. John Lithgow. The remake was unwatchable. That being said, Kevin I did see a community. Bacon. Kenny Long. That soundtrack. A friend of mine was in a uh, theater production of Footloose. I saw her in 2019. Uh, that was cool. That was cool. I don't know. Anybody else? How are we feeling about Footloose? How are we feeling about Footloose? I love a Footloose. And after that, we get Romancing the Stone. I didn't really like that movie. Rob, I feel like that's a you movie. Uh, Romancing the Stone and its sequel, Jewel of the Nile. Definitely up Rob's alley. The blow-up doll stuff. The ringtone. Right? Oh. <laughs> I think you've got a fan. Wait, why? You have, you have, a, why? You have a fan, I go. Jimmy, no. This is how we become I mean, famous. Well, this is so fun. Thank you, John Bainbridge. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Jimmy. Andrew, yes. One day, if we play our cards right, we will be on a national radio station doing this program. (laughs) Star Trek 3, The Search for Spock. Okay, so I have to talk about Star Trek 3, The Search for Spock. Because I know a lot of people don't like it, because most people, you know, of course, we only like the even number Star Trek movies. And I get that. But hear me out. Search for Spock. Search for Spock is so underrated. Because, you know, where did we leave off with Khan? You know? Spock's dead. He has been shipped out in a clear coffin to space. Throughout all my travels, everyone I've ever met, he was the most human. So great. You know, and then and then we find Spock and we get to learn a lot more about Vulcans. And we actually get to see Kunut Kalibi. Oh yeah, so interesting. We get to and and Spock romance is weird. I have a lot of mixed feelings about it. But anyway. Um, he has amnesia and he has to, you know, re-remember all of his crewmates, which goes into Voyage Home. And I'll get into that in just a few minutes. But Search for Spock is underrated. I'm very pro-Spock. I don't know if anyone can tell. I'm not sure if it's it's, it's standing out. So I don't just disagree that... Um, Wrath of Khan is better than Search for Spock. I'm just saying Search for Spock is sleeped on. Sleeped on? Slept on. I can English and grammar sometimes, but only on Tuesdays. And today's not Tuesday. It's slept on. I'm just saying people go for those even number ones and they overlook the odds. Search for Spock. Search for Spock is better than than a motion picture. It's better than number one. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Not even the motion picture is so weird. Like, honestly, you could just, you can't skip it per se, but like, okay, 
Kirk has a son. Okay, now you can skip it. That's all you need to know. Kirk is William Shatner? Huh? Kirk, yes, Kirk is William Shatner. Cool, cool. All right, and then the last movie from 1984 is Splash with uh, Tom Hanks. It's fine. Uh, falling in love with a mermaid. I don't know. There is a lot of movies about dudes falling in love with mermaids. You know, There's you a lot of mermaid. movies about people fucking fish people. There's so many of them. What's up with that? Staple Water, Creature from the Black Lagoon, Splash. Yeah. Splash 2. <laughs> oh, there's a second one? I didn't know that. Splash here. I think so. <laughs> uh, no, Jimmy. Uh, the fourth one, Voyage Home, is the one with the whales. I'll get to that in, 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 in an upcoming year. Just give me a moment. <laughs> okay. So... Moving past that, we're getting to 1985. Now, obviously, no. correct. Oh, I love what are you, that. What are you pointing to? What are you? Back to the Future, the highest grossing film of 1985, and never has there been a movie that has deserved highest grossing film more than Back to the Future. Yes, yes, yes. It is also Amblin Entertainment. Of course, it was directed by Zemeckis, written by Bob Gale and Zemeckis. Uh, I love Back to the Future. It's one of the best movies ever. Now, earlier I was talking about Airplane v. Police Academy for time-sensitive comedies. You know, comedies that hold up. Right. Back to the Future is one for me that it definitely has a lot of very obvious time-sensitive comedy. So I can definitely see people, younger people especially, uh, not understanding a lot of the jokes. There were some jokes where I have seen that movie a hundred times, a hundred times. And only after the hundred and first watch did I get certain jokes. Like, one of my favorites is when Marty is at Lou's cafe and, you know, he's talking to Lou. And he asks for a tab. And Lou says, if you want a tab, you have to buy something. But I know, I was like, Lou, I'm like, I don't know. Apparently, Tab is a soda. No idea. And he said, give me a Pepsi free. I didn't know what a Pepsi free was. Lou's like, if you want a Pepsi kid, you have to pay for it. I'm with Lou. Right. What's that? And interestingly, when he finally is able to get, you know, something without any sugar in it, he gets black coffee. Uh, he pays him some money from his pocket. And so, okay, so he goes back from 1985 to 1955. But Winnie, Winnie's pennies were wheat, had wheat on the back of them instead of the White House until 1957. So if Lou had actually looked at the money, it would have been, first of all, probably, you know, more recent printing. But also, clearly, he wouldn't have had the right pennies. He would have thought it was fake money. That counterfeit currency. Exactly. Like the NFTs and the crypto. It's not necessarily counterfeit, but it is uh, counterfeit in my heart. Counterfeit in my heart. There's a country song, Rob. Think uh, about that one. Yes, let's do it. You want to sing backup vocals? <laughs> um, intention. I didn't. Uh, I don't necessarily think it's intentionally. Oh, it's intentionally dated. I thought you said intentionally outdated. Yes, it's intentionally dated. Yes, yes, yes. It was a movie of its time, very literally, very, very true. Um, they have a lot of those scenes online, not all of them, but you can watch some of the scenes with Eric Stoltz. Big Christian Glover fan. Interesting. All right. You know, I like I him. Know. I've never heard anyone. It's fake. It's all fake. Go that far. Now, Rob, we're getting to you. Rambo, First Blood 2. Thank you, dear. Very strange name for a movie. Uh, Go. Hold on. Give me a second. Give me a moment. And then Rob died. I handed a mic off to Rob, and he leaves. 
he disappears. He abandons me in my time of need. I don't know anything about, did I say Rocky first blood? Rambo first blood. Rambo <laughs> first blood them. part two. So right. although not as good as 1982's first blood, um, it took what was a great novel, which I've never read, but I hear it's great. Um, and a great movie, which was 1982's First Blood. And they upped the ante because let's be honest, what's going on in film business? Lego mentioned this earlier. This, I mean, Jaws started the quote unquote blockbuster. The Exorcist kind of did as well, but that's for a different day. Um, but by the time we got to the 1980s, it was all about, wow, especially the mid 80s. Wow, we can franchise things. We can sequelize things. And the sequels might make more money than the first one. Because the thing of it was, prior to the 70s and 80s, but more the 80s, sequels would just would just yield diminishing returns. And they wouldn't necessarily make more money than the first one. Um, whatever it would be. So with a, with a movie like First Blood Part 2, you're upping the action, you're upping the budget, and you're upping the box office. And that's kind of where between, well, 1984's The Terminator, which that wasn't in the top 10, was it? From 1984? No, Terminator wasn't even in the top 10, which is crazy. Um, But starting with like Rambo First Blood Part 2, that's really where that 80s action star sort of thing really took off. And you started getting, you know, Stallone. I mean, again, go back and watch Rocky 1 and 2. Stallone has some muscle on him. He has the same amount of muscle on him as I do. It's, it's, you get it from working out and taking protein. You look at him by the, by 1985, also Rocky four, Rocky four and Rambo two. And it's like dudes roided up the whole shebang. And it's like, that is still the current model for an action star. You look at people like Sean Connery and Roger Moore, who played James Bond. They don't have, they have, I have more muscle on my body than they did playing James Bond in those movies. The model for what is a good-looking action star started, in my opinion, with First Blood Part Two, and has been around ever since then. That's the Jason Momoas, the Chris Hemsworths. We wouldn't have those people had that had that not movie been so successful. Those are just my thoughts. Rant concluded. Whoo! Them pills are kicking in. Okay. Uh, well, uh, someone said that Sly was having a good year. Was it Joe? I can't find it now. Anyway, yes, you're right. Because uh, right after that, next movie, Rocky IV. Did you want to go on a rant on Rocky IV? Uh, the director's cut's way better than the original cut. Um, a lot of people like Rocky IV for whatever reason, and I respect them for that. But I'm a film fan first and spectacle fan second. And uh, I... I mean, it's better than Rocky Five, but that movie fucking blows as far as I'm concerned com compared to the to the first three or the sixth one or the Creed films. But um, the director's cut is a lot better. And actually, I might like it doesn't move up in my rankings because everything else is pretty solid. But I appreciate that movie a lot more with what Stallone really wanted to do with it versus when the studio interferes with things. What did we learn in 2021, everybody? Between Zack Snyder, but or, uh, rather between 2020 and 2021, Coppola's cut of Godfather 3, Zack Snyder's cut of the Justice League, and Stallone's cut of Rocky 4. What did we learn? Studios, stop fucking with directors' artistic visions because if you just let them do what they want, you get good art. If you interfere, you get garbage. 
Yes, I know, okay. Joe. I, I know. We need Rocky again. Let's call Stallone up. Let's see. I'll shoot him a DM. All right. On so next movie's Color Out of Purple. Or the color. The Color of Purple. Couple, color of Purple. In my mind, I was thinking Color Out of Space. Like your background. going. And then I like, I decided like, oh, that's not what those words are. And course corrected, but I was too late. I was probably too late. <laughs> the Color Purple. Um, then we have Out of Africa. Then surprisingly, that one cocoon. best picture that year. Yeah. I did not expect Cocoon to be on the the top ten, but there we are, Cocoon, uh, Jewel on the Nile, sequel to Romancing the Stone. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, Witness, Harrison Ford. Yes, it and is. The Amish people. Uh huh. Have you ever seen Witness? Yeah. Yeah. Then Goonies. All about Hamlin. All about Amblin. I've, ne- I've I've never seen Goonies all the way through. I've seen parts of it, and you would like, not like Goonies. Was like, is this like the Goonies. one about the baseball field or the one no. where they find the dead body? Because it's all the same. Nope. Movie. No, I think you would like Stand by Me, and you should give that a try. I've seen, okay, I've seen Stand by Me. I appreciate it because the acting is so fucking good. Rob Reiner did a great job directing that Stephen King adaptation. Ooh, let's do a Stephen King adaptation. Oh, 100%. I can go on that all day. Like, I can just go an hour on the 2020 stand adaptation. I have a lot of things to say, and it's all built on fury. It is a house of reckoning I will bring upon this. (sighs) I can't wait to see your reckoning, but we'll we'll do that a different day. Go ahead. Um, So, Goonies. Obviously, again, Amblin Entertainment. Spielberg. Uh, It's not directed by Spielberg. It's directed by... Oh, my God. I know his name. Richard Who directed Donner. Superman? Save Richard me. Donner. Richard Donner. We, only, we did a whole special on him when he died last year. I'm bad with names. We know oh. this. We knew this. Richard Donner. But it's an Amblin Entertainment film. And, I was uh, it it's, and it stars a young yeah. Thanos. Who doesn't love Thanos? Come on. Thanos. Well, he and, and he was amazing. Sean Astin, uh, the mom of the Goonies is also the mom of the Monster Squad. Who doesn't love the Monster Squad? Come on. Yeah, I don't disagree. I don't disagree with this. Goonies is overrated, but it's still it's it's Indiana Jones for kids. Okay, and then the last movie for '85 is Spies Like Us. Doctor, you don't know the bit. Never mind. Thanks, uh, thanks for that. Spies All right. Like with Ackroyd and Candy. Uh, uh, it's a uh, Ackroyd and Ch- Chase, Chevy Chase. Yeah, yeah. Yes. I never saw it. I remember the cover of it, but I never saw the movie. Honestly, the mo- the part I remember the, the most is when Dracula picks up that like five year old little girl and says, "Give me the amulet, you little bitch!" <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> and uh, uh, kicking kicking the Wolfman in the nards. Wolfman's got nards. That that's that's what sticks out for me. Oh, because then they want to like sacrifice his sister because she's a virgin, but then they find out she's not or something. I don't remember. <laughs> I don't know. I just remember like some of the, the sillier little bits. Anyway. Anyway. 1986. Oh, for fuck's sake. Top gross what? movie of 86 is Top Gun. I hate Top Gun. Okay. So one of my best friends in the entire world, Ski, uh, he, by the way, him and his wife, uh, are their kid's about to pop out any day. Can't wait. Um, This is his like favorite like movie to watch 
And I couldn't tell you how many times we would drive down the highway in his pickup truck, blasting Danger Zone by Kenny Loggins. So the soundtrack the, is good. Not the movie itself. Argue against that. I rewatched it with, I, I saw it when I was a kid and was like, eh, whatever, and just forgot about it. I rewatched it with him in 2011 and was just like, this movie is terrible. Terrible. Great soundtrack. But yeah, great soundtrack. I, I hate that movie with a fiery passion. Like most Tom Cruise movies. But you know what? The number two movie from 1986 is one of my personal favorite movies from the 1980s. Um, this is all I'm going to say. That's not a knot. Nope. That's not a knot. This is a knot. Yeah, just officially doing this now. Zero. Zero, Rob. <sighs> Into who? Into who? All right. <laughs> Crocodile Dundee. Then Platoon. That's one of the 80 movies I've never seen. I know it's popular. Never seen Platoon. Platoon? It's fine. It's um, it's one of the most accurate portrayals of Vietnam from what I've been told. Uh, it won the best. It won best picture for that year. Uh, it's fine. Charlie Sheen's good in it. Hmm. Karate Kid 2. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Star Trek 4. The Voyage Home. We're looking for the nuclear vessels. Yes, 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 yes. Um, that does make me think of Anton Yelchin, though. Hmm. Sad. Anyway, yes. So, it's an even one, so people like it. We all be know. They're looking for the whales. I don't remember why they're looking for the whales, but it's something to do with the whales can communicate with something, I think. I don't know. 52 hertz whale. All right. Cool. We need to find the nuclear vessels and the whales. Yes. But also, like, this, at this point, like, Spock has gone, like, going, like, real Nirvana. You know, he's all in white. He's trying to remember things because he's still got the amnesia from when he died and regrew on that planet. I forgot the whole thing about the cool planet that that could that was um, doing, what's it called, like, creating its own ecosystem. That was a whole cool thing. I wish we could do that in real life. That'd be fun. Although, terraforming. Although, we would have used it. I'll start gathering mm -hmm. shit tomorrow. I, I want to build a fallout shelter. So. Anyway, so yes, Star Trek for the voyage home. I think this is, I know most people put Star Trek 2, Khan at number one. I put Voyage 4 as my number one Star Trek film, personally. But I never really got into the ones after they started, they stopped numbering them and start just doing like names, like Nemesis and all that. Because I was never big into uh, Next Gen. I'm only a TOS fan. Give me Spock or give me death. And that's just how that is. Amen. Next film. I've never heard heard of it. Back what to movie? school? After school? Back to school. Oh, Ronnie Dangerfield. Oh, I have heard of it. I know exactly yeah. what this movie is. Okay, then. Good talk. Aliens! So, I think we can all agree. James Cameron can really come in and take a horror movie and make it an action movie sequel out of it. Can I ask you a question? Because I've never asked you this question before. Um, do you like the direction he went with Ripley in the second film? Not big on it. Okay. So you don't like the fact that she's basically, for lack of a better term, she's basically... The Feminized only... and made a mommy. 
no, I was going to say they basically turned her into this like, like Stallone Schwarzenegger type. Oh no, that's fine. Okay. I don't like the, I don't like that. They, they do. So they do this a lot where they just like women exist to be wombs. And if you can't get pregnant, well, we'll just give you an adopted child. I mean, that's, that's basically what Terminator's about. <laughs> Everybody, that eye roll, that eye roll, that's why I'm friends with this person. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 uh, I don't, I don't like it. Now, the fact that she's just like, um, a badass bitch taking care of some aliens, that's awesome. Go sure. for it. Sure. Here for it. No, I just, I like the first one, I mean, again, one's a horror movie, one's a, one's a action movie. I like both of them. They're two different films, uh, set within the same universe. I just, a lot of, a lot of women that, that I've heard speak on this, at least, don't like the fact that they kind of t- like because she was you know the she's the hero in both but they basically turned her into like a you know a mirror image of the male action star in the mid 80s you know no i think that's kind of realistic based on what she's been through sure okay cool cool all right what else we got i'll do a randy and say i believe the line is stay away from here you bitch," even though that was wrong which i like anyway Moving on, uh, The Golden Child, another Eddie Murphy Eddie film Murphy. that was supposed to, never saw that one, uh, which was supposed to be because they were making Big Trouble in Little China at the same time. I don't know if you can see the poster I have. Um, and they go over there and Vanna White it. You just, never mind. You did like the Vanna White, like the. Okay, it's Sorry. called pointing. Yes. It's, I think it's I think it's a kind of a universal thing. Anyway, so yeah, it's supposed to be kind of competition with uh, Big Trouble in Little China, Big Trouble in Little China. Unfortunately, box office sadness. Although one of my personal favorite '80s films, tragic, tragic. One of my personal favorite films of all time. So it bombed in the box that. office. Hmm. It bombed in the box office. Big Trouble yeah. in Little China. It's fine. I didn't understand it. I didn't know if it was a comedy or an action movie. I just so confused. You're the problem, Rob. You're the problem. We know this. Uh, next, we have Ruthless People. Personally, never heard of Ruthless People. John Bainbridge, my sinuses. It was 32 degrees on Monday and 55 degrees on Tuesday and 60 degrees yesterday. And it's 28 degrees outside now. And it's going to be 70 degrees on Saturday. My sinuses have been going, Oh yeah, blowing my nose a lot. I'm on box four Kleenex this week. Sorry, go ahead. Then we have one of the most quotable movies ever. I mean, not quite up to like Princess Bride level of quotability, but still very quoted. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. You don't like it. Go ahead. It is very much a 1980s movie. And I know you said you didn't like Risky Business. Um, I, I think Ferris Bueller is a better film because John Hughes is involved than a lot of the other teen movies from the eighties, but I don't, that movie, maybe it's just not for me, if that makes sense, but I did see it. I saw it when I was a teenager and then I saw it again when I was like 18 or 19 and it just, maybe I don't like Matthew Broderick. Maybe that's what my problem is. What? Okay. So. Eastwood. Okay. Chat. 
Let me know by show of hearts. Am I vindicated in my dislike of Eastwood? <sighs> we'll just check. Anyway, um, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Um, I have mixed feelings about it. There are a lot of movies that if I, I stop and think about, I really ruin for myself. Ghostbusters is actually one of them. Ferris Bueller is definitely one of them. I do have um, a lot of John Hughes films, Ferris Bueller, um, The Breakfast Club, which yeah, you can't see it. The Breakfast Club, um, Pretty in Pink, uh, 16 Candles. I also have some others that are not John Hughes, like Lucas. Peggy Sue got married, which nobody ever talks about that one. That's, well, I'm mentioning specific films to get somewhere. Um, I have reviews on them on my channel. They call them 90s kids reviews, and I talk about whether or not they hold up. Um, Back, uh, I actually did two different ones for Ferris Bueller because I redid it this year. Um, so if anyone's interested, um, they're pretty funny, and I really just, uh, I really just go for as like woke as possible in my reviews of them. <laughs> so I think they're kind of humorous. I hope, but yes, I ultimately do like Ferris Bueller. I think it's a, I love the soundtrack. Um, I really like Matthew Broderick. Uh, I have one person's. Or I have two people saying I'm vindicated in my dislike of Clint Eastwood. Thank you, Joe and John. Uh, yes. So ultimately, I think Ferris Bueller is a movie that doesn't necessarily hold up. I don't particularly like um, John Hughes personally. Really? Um, he's very, uh, very of his time. I'm just saying, when you watch all his movies, and with almost every movie coming up, like, oh, that's a little, uh, a salty. <laughs> Yikes. Problematic. But it was, I mean, again. No, no, no. Like, I'm going to stop you right there. I can hear what you're going to say. And I've been reading, because every time I go to do a review of these movies, like I just said, I do review, I've done reviews on all of them. I go and see what people who are alive at the time were saying about it. And almost every time I find a lot of people saying, even in that time, we thought it was weird. Oh, you knew what I, you read my mind. You knew what I was going to say. Because we finished each other's sandwiches, Rob. Ay-yay-yay. Okay, again, uh, it's not a hate. I actually do like this. I do think... You know, there's some a couple things about it that's a little bit of an issue. My biggest thing is like, oh my god, the principal is horrible. I think he's actually the vice principal. I have a whole a bunch of like whole uh, joking pictures. If I knew this was gonna come up, I should have foreseen it. I would have um, put the pictures in here. But I did a whole like fake newspaper regarding like what's going on at Shermer High. <laughs> And okay. it's about like how all the principals and like vice principals and shit are like horrible and keep getting fired. <laughs> and stuff is pretty funny. Um, and I just feel bad for all these students because technically those movies um, like this and Ferris Bueller came out a year apart. Um, Breakfast Club being in 85 and uh, Ferris Bueller in 86. And how uh, like Ferris Bueller probably went to school with like Bender and stuff like that. And I was wondering if they were friends. It's a whole thing. Oh, yes, the faculty. Now, the faculty, that's right up my alley. Anyway, moving on. 1987. Can you guess the highest grossing movie of 1987? It involves Spock. I'm about to look. It, it was directed two? by Leonard Nimoy. Three Men and a Baby. Sorry. Oh, I forgot. I just said uh, Leonard Nimoy. Okay, so yeah, Leonard Nimoy directed Three Men and a Baby, starring Tom Selleck, that's that's right, Magnum P.I. himself, Steve Gutenberg, 
of police academy fame. That's not what he's famous from, for I know, but like, yes, of police he's academy. Also fame. It takes two of Kirstie Alley and the Olsen twins, which is one of the best movies. And who else was in something with Kirstie Alley? Ted Danson from Cheers. I mean, come on. That is a crew. That is a cast. I love Three Minute a Baby. It's definitely one of my top 25, you know, favorite films ever made. I really can't tell you why I love this movie so much. It's just, it's so fun. It does have quite a bit of heart. I think it totally holds up. I love all three of those actors so, so much. Maybe it's because I like Mr. Mom so much. And if I had a kid show up on my doorstep, I would be just as clueless as them. Oh my gosh, yes. Um, honestly, I don't think it needed like the whole, uh, like, like, um, drug subplot but i do like that that's there i never it's saw the movie of course not i don't think you'd like it why um probably what i would like a movie. maybe we should reboot it and it'd be me and you and no come, come stop to our doorstep Talking. and then we have to figure out how to take care of it are you tom Selleck, rob no you could be tom Selleck. i'll be steve gutenberg you know what i'm okay with that okay. moving on I know how to talk we, so 1987 Three Men and a Baby is the highest grossing movie of that year, which I think is a surprise. Like that, that's like out of nowhere. I don't know how that movie came out on top, but it did. You know, this is a Cinderella story, and I appreciate that. That's fun because this is not a sequel. It does have like stars in it, but most of the stars are, you know, Ted Danson and uh, uh, Selleck. Those are TV guys. Steve Gutenberg's the only like real like movie dude, and in that era, you have movie stars in your movie. TV and movie were way way separate. Well, and compared to everything else that we've talked about, if you look at this list, these are all Top Gun spectacle. Back to the Future, great plot, but it's still a big, you know, kind of thing. Beverly Hills Cop, huge comedy. Return of the Jedi, fucking Star Wars, E.T., huge spectacle. Most of these Reading are action movies, action sci-fi kind of stuff. Things that are, like you said, a huge right. spectacle. Three this, is baby, our, like, this is the most simple. grounded film. And it probably had a really low budget. Right. Because they didn't yeah. need anything big for it. So I, I just, I think that's kind of when, because also with, uh, in 1985, with Back to the Future, with one Alex P. Keaton from Family Ties, they started to see that, like, bringing your TV stars into your movie brings a crowd because they have built in audience for season after season after season. I mean, cheers, cheers was like the biggest fucking show in the eighties. Come on. So anyway, well, actually the Cosby that, show was the biggest show in the eighties, but yes, I mean, it cheers like the finale. I think. No, I, no, I, I know. I'm just being watched, an Okay. It's I'm just saying like, I'm, I think cheers might've been more watched than yes. the Cosby show, but moving on fail attraction fine i learned so much i so i i watched misery for the first time last week and i need to re-watch fatal attraction i haven't seen it since i was 14 years old i remember when i watched it um yeah yeah lot learned took a lot of notes okay so moving on uh another sequel we have beverly hills cop then we get into a Robin Williams picture, Good Morning Vietnam. Good morning, oh, Vietnam. we get to Cher and Nick Cage in Moonstruck. Which this was a Nick Cage breakout, breakout role. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, his name was Nicholas Coppola, but he changed his last name because he wanted to make it on his own. And he has Nick Cage, greatest performer in our life. Uh, who's currently alive? Well. Robert De Niro. 
absolutely not. He is an actor. Uh, then we have, I'm sure you're going to want to talk about this one, Untouchables. Just like a wop to bring a knife to a gunfight. I can say that. I'm part Italian. I can say wop. I can say anything. Okay, moving on. Uh, the Secret of My Success. I think that is a, another, I almost said Alice B. Keaton again, <laughs> Michael J. Fox movie. Uh, Stakeout, I believe, is uh, Richard Dreyfus, right? Richard Dreyfus, yeah. I did yeah, see yeah, Stakeout yeah. and its sequel, Stakeout 2. I have not, but it's on my watch list. But before I can't we get it. to number nine, because I know you're going to want to talk for a while. Uh, actually, never mind. Go ahead. No, no. What were you saying? I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep my mouth shut. And I'm gonna let you. I know. Okay. So if there's, I if there's three things I know you love. Okay. Okay. It is Ghostbusters. Uh huh. It is Back to the Future. Uh huh. And it is. Take it away. Lethal Weapon. Oh yes. Uh, Lethal Weapon. Highest, uh, ninth highest grossing film of 1987. I love lethal weapon this movie absolutely deserves this spot another richard donner film i don't know who produced don't care fantastic film it is you know a big you know action piece it does have a lot of great actors in it not just your top guys you know not just not just riggs and murtaugh no, no no the bad guys were pretty famous too you got uh tom atkins you got a busey there's a lot of busey Phenomenal bad guys. Lethal Weapon is so fun. I will put Lethal Weapon over Die Hard. This is a movie that I will die on. Okay, so hang on, sorry. I would that is literally the person I was thinking of to put as a performer above Nick Cage, and I do agree with that assertion. Good job, Joe. Hell yeah. I do agree. That's that's literally the person where I that was the exact human being where my mind stopped and said, because otherwise, I mean, if we're not talking living, I mean, we have to have Philip Seymour C. Uh, C. Hoffman in the conversation. But what about, anyway, what about like William H. Macy or um, uh, their Willie Blood? What's his name? Three word name. Oh, yeah. I can't think of it either. But yeah, I know what you're talking help. about. Somebody help us in the chat. He retired. So bad with names. Daniel Day-Lewis. That is it. Uh, I just don't like him very much. Uh Right. So for me, I don't know, like if you can't turn it off when they call cut, then you're just a jackass and you're not as good of a performer as someone who can turn it on and turn it off. I think if you're someone who can turn it on and turn it off, you're a better performer automatically Okay. because you're, you are fully getting in and immersed and then you're stopping because you should stop after that. You whacked job. Anyway, lethal weapon. Oh God. If you haven't seen it, watch it. I would love to talk about this movie. Anytime anyone wants to talk about it, hit me up. Love this movie. So fun. I love all four of them. It's very rare that you keep you keep a cast and, and you keep my um Shane Black didn't write all of them, but uh, you know, you it's pretty cohesive, which particularly when it comes to 80 sequels, right. Generally not cohesive. And no, no, and Lego's totally right. And like with like with context, you know the current model that's been around for the last 20 years, specifically more the last 10 is very different, but you just like Lego said, the fact that these franchises were just that, that term franchise was just starting to become a thing by the late eighties. Um, yeah. The fact that they were able to make four lethal weapon movies, all directed by Donner, correct? 
I don't think so. Um, I don't remember though. I'm pretty sure. Let me look it up. Go ahead. Maybe. Might be right. Uh, I don't, uh, maybe it wasn't, it was that Shane Black didn't write them all. Yeah, he did, he directed Richard Donner them. directed them all. Shane Black didn't write them all. He directed them all. Yeah. Um, but the cast, cast-wise, is pretty pretty much all the same. And it rolled into two seasons of a great TV show, which is nice. Um, not, it's its own thing, telling its own story, so it's not a continuation. That would have been weird. Uh, but yeah, really, really fun. Hey, Paul. Hey, Paul. Very fun. Lethal Weapon. One of the, it's on my top five favorite films of all time. Okay, wait, can I guess your other two? Because I named three of them, right? So, Back to the Future is one of them. Ghostbusters. Lethal Weapon. Ghostbusters is definitely not. That's not, not in your top five? Absolutely not. Oh, wow. Uh, Interview with a Vampire. Nope. Fuck. Um, Halloween. Yep. Okay. Oh, fuck. This is, this, all right. All right. Everybody in the chat, humor me for a second. I like um okay, so uh can I get decades? Can you give me a decade for one of them? Uh it's there's another one in the 80s. I have a poster on it behind me. Uh big trouble in little China. Yeah. And can you give me a decade for the last one? Um, what did we already name? We named Big Trouble in Little China, Halloween. Yes. 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 Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Or, or uh, Back to the Future, I mean. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. Back to the Future and uh, Lethal Weapon. Mm -hmm. It's in the 80s and there's a poster of it behind me. The Thing? Uh-uh. Uh, what do you have behind you? I don't know. I give up. What is it? Highlander. Oh, fuck. Damn it. That's right. Ah. Okay. Back, back to our show. Okay. I love Highlander. I'm all about, all about them sword fighties. Oh no, you froze. I did. Can you hear me? I can hear you. I can. I... Okay, I'm gonna drop out. Rob, talk about Rain Man. Go. Okay, so, 1988, boys and girls. Um, this, you know, so this is the only movie. Let's see. I want to double check. Yes. This is the only movie that won Best Picture that was also number one in the box office for the year that it came out. And that was 1988's Rain Man. At this point in time, Tom Cruise was already a major breakout star. We talked about Eddie Murphy this decade, Steven Spielberg this decade, Tom Cruise right up in there as well. Huge fucking movie star by 1988. He was at the top of the world. But here's the deal. Tom Cruise had not really done anything of actual substance yet and nothing against risky business or cocktail or Top Gun or the outsiders, but it was in 1988's Rain Man that you actually got to see the Tom Cruise period that I enjoyed the most, which would start with Rain Man and end with uh, Collateral, okay, in 2004, where Tom Cruise was acting and giving phenomenal performances. Rain Man... Few Good Men, Jerry Maguire, The Last Samurai, Collateral, just to name a few. And him and Dustin Hoffman played so well against, like, with each other, like, against each other in Rain Man, directed by Barry Levinson. It's ridiculous. He, like, Dust, I mean, again, Dustin Hoffman steals the fucking performance in this movie, but Tom Cruise plays off of Hoffman perfectly and vice versa. And this movie, I've seen it probably five times. 
I think it holds up very well. Um, there's really not anything that seems like dated other than like the cell phone things or whatever um, with this movie. Uh, obviously, I know in today's modern setting, people want more representation on screen. So I understand all that stuff, but Dustin Hoffman did a bang up job. What do you think about Rayman Lego? Got to go to Kmart. Got to go to Kmart. You didn't like it, did you? Oh, no, I can't hear you. So I can see you, but now I can't hear you. I can't hear you. Can you hear me now? Yes, I can hear you now. Okay. I'm not a Tom Cruise fan. <laughs> Neither but, am I. Uh, what? Anymore. Not, not, I, I'm not past 2004. So. <laughs> oh, very specific. I yes. understand it, though. Okay. War of the Worlds was okay. Um, there are movie seasons that I like, such sure. as You Were Correct, Interview with the Vampire. I love that movie, but I just don't like Tom Cruise. In T-Way, the movie's a little cringy. Now, now this movie, this movie is phenomenal. Who framed Roger Rabbit? Now there's the Mecca Cigarettes. This movie, so I talk about this all the time, but if you can imagine, I was like five years old. Yeah, I was five years old. It was, it was yeah. Um, I watched Batman 89, Batman Returns, all three Indiana Jones movies, all three original Star Wars movies, and Who Framed Roger Rabbit all in the same summer. And uh, oh, and Jurassic Park, the first one. And I remember watching these movies. Like, I remember the first time I saw Who Framed Roger Rabbit. The tape, the movie ended. I put it in our tape rewinder and then I put it back in the VCR and wanted to watch it again. Cause that, like, for me, and I think the chat, you guys back me up here. It's like, I had never, like Space Jam wasn't out yet. Okay. This would have been like 96 with Space Jam. I'd never seen, I'm watching this movie and little kindergarten Rob's going, how did they bring animated characters and real people? And met, like how, like I was just totally mind blown. Go ahead. Oh, so I had already seen Space Jam before I'd seen Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Now I feel gypped. But yeah, this movie, even when I was a kid, I thought it was like so, so impressive. And, and they actually had to like, this was the first movie where they had the camera moving while they had animated characters interacting with live action characters. Like they had to like come up with ways to do that. It was like really impressive for its time. And yeah, the movie is just also the storytelling is great. Zemeckis does a really good job of introducing you to a character without any kind of exposition. He does it visually and he does it very, very well. Also, I mean, of course, Christopher Lloyd. So I'm here for it, obviously. Christopher Lloyd, again, you know, Bob Zemeckis, and, you know, also did direct uh, uh, Back to the Future. And how great, okay, how great was Christopher Lloyd as an actor when he actually got to perform? I mean, how great? Christopher Lloyd's always great. What are you talking about? You ever seen the movie, uh, the uh, movie adaptation of My Favorite Martian? with him and Jeff Daniels came out in the late nineties, like 97, 98. That was a maybe, pretty good movie. Maybe back in the nineties. I don't yeah. remember it. So interestingly for back to the future, who they were looking to cast as doc Brown, they were basically looking at like anybody who is in, uh, the adventures of Buckaroo Banzai across the eighth dimension. They were looking at John Lithgow. They were looking at Christopher Lloyd. They were looking at, I think they were looking at, Oh my God. They might've been looking, not Peter Weller, but um, oh, I'm blanking on his name. Jeff Goldblum. How do you forget Jeff Goldblum? 
Uh, they, I mean, they really get like just like everybody that was in Buckaroo Banzai. They were like, he would make a great Doc Brown. And if you've seen Buckaroo Banzai, you will understand why. Phenomenal film, underrated from the 80s. Hell yeah. In, in from 1988, we then have Coming to America. Never saw it. It's fine. Uh, then we have, I'm just not a big, I don't know. Eddie Murphy fan? Yeah, he's fine. Mm -hmm. We have big nineties movies, but yeah, big. Uh, it's not one of those eighties movies that, like, when you're watching it now, you're like, "Oh, this is a, it's a little sus, a little creepy, a little appropriate." I feel comfortable. You need me to call an adult, so <laughs> I feel like I should. Then we get now, Rob. I remember when we were talking about uh, Schwarzenegger. Or I think this was with you. We were talking about Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito well, movies. How many people do you talk about Arnold Schwarzenegger with outside of me? You know, that's what I'm I was surprised. Did. I think this actually might have been a conversation I had with somebody else. Were you the person I was talking to who was like, "Wait, Danny uh, Schwarzenegger's been in comedies?" No, that was definitely not you. That, my best, that definitely my wasn't best me because I <laughs> love Schwarzenegger. I was, I was talking to my best friend, and he he said he he'd seen a Arnold Schwarzenegger film recently. I don't remember which one it was. And then I said that my favorite Schwarzenegger films were the ones, the comedies that he's in with Danny DeVito. And he comes back in all caps, Schwarzenegger's been in comedies? I'm like, oh, friends, we have a Kindergarten Cop, Twins, Junior. I love all of those. Twins definitely is one of my favorite Schwarzenegger films. I love Kindergarten Cop. It's Kindergarten Cop is when he finally got to play um, uh, Michael Bean's character in Terminator. <laughs> Okay, yeah, yeah. And that, that, that's literally what he's doing. But Twins, Twins are so fun. Danny DeVito and Schwarzenegger, you wouldn't think to put those two together, but once they did, absolute gold. Absolute gold. Definitely. I do love Last Action Hero. Last Action Hero with Demolition Man as like a, a double feature, 100% would recommend it. I think at that point, since we're getting into like 1990, I think both of those movies came out in 1990. Um, that's when we got to the point where we're having like action parodies. And that's kind of where we're shifting in terms of action movies. It's a whole thing. But um, yes, that's um, those movies. I definitely love both of them. Um, I don't think either of them were big box office hits, but definitely good movies from 1990. Anyway, back to the 80s. Crocodile Dundee 2, Rob? It uh, wasn't as good as the first one. Okay. All right. Die Hard. Uh, greatest Christmas movie ever made. It's a close call between that one and It's a Wonderful Life because. Okay, I'm going to make film. Danny's dreams come true right here, right here and now. <laughs> oh my God. Um, no, that, I mean, again, we talk, we've talked a lot about how important the 80s was to kind of setting up the modern kind of models that they have with film. Uh, especially spectacle uh, tentpole movies that are going to be yield your highest box office returns. And, you know, we, we talked about like Rambo two and all that sort of stuff. Um, but die hard, you know, Bruce, they didn't want Bruce Willis because they were like, wait, the guy from moonlighting, you know, they wanted somebody that was more rugged um, because again, what's really popular right now, people like Arnold Schwarzenegger, People like um, Sylvester Stallone, Jean-Claude Van Damme's coming into the scene, all that sort of stuff. Um, and then you still have people like Burt Reynolds that are around and 
uh, Magnum PI. I'm blanking yeah. on his name because I'm sick. But sell anyway, it. regardless, sell it. Thank you, dear. Um, that being said, uh, they got Bruce Willis. And what happened? You got somebody who looks like an everyman that is able to be the action hero. And that goes into, now granted, yes, I know Harrison Ford was around, okay? But Indiana Jones is not necessarily a grounded sort of movie. Um, but then when we get into the 90s and we get like the adaptations of the Tom Clancy novels, like Clear and Present Danger and Patriot Games and stuff, you know, you're getting somebody, again, that is more of an everyman action hero. And Bruce Willis and Harrison Ford would be in more in that category where you've got um, Schwarzenegger and Stallone in another category. And then Eddie Murphy being in the more comedic uh, middle ground of an action, like an, an action movie star who's also a comedian. You get that with Paul Hogan with Crocodile Dundee and Eddie Murphy in 48 Hours and Beverly Hills Cop. Rant concluded. Die Hard. Go check it out. Okay. okay. I'm just trying to break some content. Call that a rant? That was just a discussion. We'll need to, uh, we'll work on the rants wrap later. Uh, yeah. Next movie we have is Naked Gun. Fun comedy? Yeah, never saw it. Not as good as Loaded Weapon. Said what I said. Uh, Cocktail, because Tom Cruise was just huge in the 80s and 90s and 2000s. Right. <sighs> and then Beetlejuice. Oh, I love Beetlejuice. I I fucking love that movie. I know you're not a Tim Burton fan, but I'll tell you what. Go if you haven't seen Beetlejuice in the last 10 years, go rewatch it because it fully holds up. The cop like Michael Keaton is firing on all cylinders. Alec Baldwin and Gina Davis are phenomenal in this movie. Um, the whole cast, all around. Ren Renona Ryder, everybody. Okay, so now we get to the last year, 1989. Another Rob movie. <laughs> I just don't like these high box office earners. Oh, my God. Wait, why is... Okay, first of all, 1989's Batman is fine. It's not... I mean, again, we're spoiled because I just saw The Batman last night and changed my fucking life. But um, 1989's Batman, it's 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 a good movie. You know, it, it's a good movie. Uh but yeah, that's definitely not my favorite movie of this decade or from this year. Well, is your favorite movie from this year Last Crusade? Indiana Jones 3? We named the dog Indiana. We named Indiana you Junior. <laughs> yes, yes. In Indiana Jones and Last Crusade, that'd be my favorite movie from 1989. Yes. Yes, yes. But I know. I want to attack. Why? Wait, what? I shouldn't. You give me your but I want whoa, whoa. to. Wait, what? Go. All right. Hey, you you are your own person. You unleash the beast. I'm sorry. Let's get into it. Uh, first of all, I've gone on a number, a number of Tim Burton rants, and I'm not afraid to go on a number of more. Tim Burton is the most overrated director, full stop, the most. And, and Michael Bay exists. And Christopher Nolan exists. Michael Bay, or no, uh, see, now I'm on the last track. Bad news. Tim Burton is the most overrated, overrated director ever. I fucking hate Tim Burton. His movies fucking suck. Scripts are trash. I just, no, super no. And you want to talk about Gothgard, Jimmy Gothgard? I'm sorry. 
I'm not into these little fanta fan fantastical little chirpy bullshit. No, no, no. I'm I'm true. I'm real. I'm here for the one and only Elvira. I'm here for my vampires, you know? I'm here for real, authentic Russian and French literature, all right? Yeah. You never struck me as a goth person. Elvira is my hero. Thank you. I mean, yes, vampire, definitely, but not goth. Like, I you am. don't sit around listening to The Cure and, like, feeling sad about yourself. Oh, my God. Okay, so, really? favorite Cure song, oh. go. Okay, I mean, love song. Boys Don't Cry in pictures of So, you. like, I was, like, sitting there, like, singing a lullaby song, which part of it goes, and the Spider-Man is having me for dinner tonight. And I was sitting there, think, like, singing that all throughout watching every Spider-Man movie. And everyone's looking at me, like, what the fuck are you talking about? Why is the Spider-Man going to eat you? I'm like, you just don't listen to enough of the cure. Robert Smith is idle. Now, I'm not a big Susie and the Banshees fan, per se, but moving into, like, Joy Division and, like, Sisters of Mercy. Oh, Sisters of Mercy is so good. That man's voice is, like, an eargasm. Just an eargasm. Now, if we can go back to vampires, I can do an, oh, God. I mean, I'll talk about 80s vampires movies in a minute. We'll circle back around. Noted, John. Let's just let's just finish um, 1989. I, I do want to say I want to make two comments. Uh, one, you and Max have you guys got to hang out because Max loves all that shit, and I'm like, eh, you know, whatever. So there's that. And then two, when we finally get around to our 80s music podcast episode, I think I know who I'm going to be texting for a guest because I don't know anything. I mean, like I know those bands. Like I like The Cure. Like Disintegration's a great album. I thought Boys Don't Cry. Yes. Oh God, such a great song too. But uh, but yeah. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. Oh. Uh, hate stripes, but I am wearing so much plaid, like all over it, all over it. Oh uh, yes, yes, yes. Wait, what? I missed. What's what about the stripes? What did oh, I? Oh, someone says because you know Tim Burton. So. Oh right. Eight stripes. You had no, okay, you, had, you got lie. you got pants mind. on and a plaid shirt. I like that. Yeah. You're more plaid than Rob. Damn. Well, there's a whole thing on that, Rob. Oh, I'm gonna talk Lost Boys. Don't you worry. You, you, <laughs> you <laughs> Keep drinking your coffee. I'm drinking. All uh, right. Right. So finishing up 1989. Lethal Weapon Two. I do think Lethal Weapon 2 is a far superior sequel than Die Hard 2. Funny. I agree with that. I would agree with that. Lethal Weapon 2 is it, a good sequel, understands its characters, and can build off the momentum of the first one and up the ante. And I think, personally, Lethal Weapon 2 did a very good job with that. I don't think I've seen Lethal Weapon 2 as much as I've seen Lethal Weapon 3, because I do dislike 3 more. They go, Lethal Weapon 3 is where they really kind of go into the comedy more. Where Joe Weapon Pesci in the second off. one? Or does yes, he come that's in? the first okay. one Joe Pesci is in. Um, yes, Leo Getz. Whatever you need, Leo Getz. Love it. Um, 1989 also has Look Who's Talking with Christy Alley and John Travolta. That was a great movie. And uh, Bruce Willis voicing the baby. Very, very true. Very, very true. And then we have Honey, I Shrunk the Kids with... Rick Moranis, couldn't pull it. Rick Moranis. Uh, also, the guy whose name I'm sporting 
Edison Carter, Max Headroom himself is in that movie. Uh, Back to the Future 2, again, phenomenal sequel. Back to the Future 2, definitely one of the best sequels ever made, for sure. I think when people talk about Back to the Future, most people are talking Back to the Future 2. Such a good sequel. Followed up by Ghostbusters 2, again. Okay, Ghostbusters 2, not a great sequel, but I really like it. Um, Just always throwing this out there, it's okay to like a bad movie. Yeah. Uh, Driving Miss Daisy. Driving Miss Daisy won Best Picture for that year. Yes. You had something to say about it. Parenthood uh, with Steve Martin, Rick Moranis. This has a, a, a very young Ron Howard. Yeah. Um, pretty big cast. There is a TV show uh, based on the same, I don't know if it's a movie. No, it's, um, it's based on movie. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I really like Parenthood. I think there's, it has a lot of like, uh, a lot of fun, like moments, although it also has a lot of heart. There's this this one scene uh, where uh, Steve Martin's wife is said, tells him that he's pregnant or tells him that he's pregnant or she's pregnant. I can't with words. And he's talking about life being like a roller coaster. And that I just remember this one specific line. My whole life is have to. Ooh, ooh, cutting, cutting. And uh, Keanu Reeves' uh, girlfriend gets pregnant, and he's he's talk uh, he's talking to his future mother-in-law. And he says, uh, you know, any idiot can get, uh, or you have to get a license to drive. You have to get a license to, you know, catch a fish. But any idiot can be a father. Right. That's a good one. That's a good one. Keanu Reeves, peak surfer, bro, in that movie. Such a good job. I, I really also, like that film. Oh, and a young, uh, a young, um, oh my God, Joaquin Phoenix. Couldn't pull it. Very young Joaquin Phoenix, one of his first also, movies. Also, what's important about Parenthood is that we're starting to see the transition that Steve Martin made from, I mean, if you want to start with 1979's The Jerk, directed by Carl Reiner, okay? And through the 80s, you got to see see Steve Martin be the young, zany, you know, he's up there with Bill Murray and the Dan Aykroyds and the Belushis and stuff, um, doing this brand of comedy. And then starting with Parenthood and then following that up Two years later, I think Father of the Bride came out in 91, um, following that up with Father yeah. of the Bride. And then, of course, mm-hmm. like movies like Mixed Nuts. And then we get into the uh, later 90s and then to the 2000s with like Cheaper by the Dozen. Uh, you start to look at Steve Martin in a different light because of a movie like Parenthood that, oh, he can play the funny dad. And that opened up a whole new career for him because prior to that, he was always just kind of playing those, you know, similar types of characters, you know, people that like Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray and the blue she's played. So there is that. Yeah. Also like also showing again that, you know, those SNL guys, particularly from that like era. And then from the, the next era, when we get to like, um, the, like the mid nineties, I'd say mid nineties, that's like those, those two pockets of SNL, like really blew the fuck up. Well, I mean, think about it. You know, I mean, Steve Martin was never an actual cast member, but he helped, he might as well have been. Yeah. Um, but like him and and Bill Murray, the range that they have as actors, you know, is incomparable. You know, and then you don't get that again until you get people like Adam Sandler and Will Ferrell, right, and all that sort of stuff. And then obviously in the modern in the modern era, Bill you've got Hader. people like Bill Hader. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know. And, and uh, Kristen Wiig. The Skeleton Twins is a great film if you've never seen it with Bill Hader and Kristen Wiig. 
definitely check it out. Then the last movie we have this year, another Robin Williams film, phenomenal film based on a book, Dead Poet Society. I absolutely love this film. Oh, Captain, my captain, all day, all day. Is that the Carpe Diem thing? Is that where that comes from? Seize the day. I mean, that's not where it comes from, but wait, isn't that in that movie? Isn't that like, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, cool, cool. But yes, definitely, Dead Poet Society, phenomenal film. Um, I remember uh, we were talking about the Dead Poet Society, or we're talking about, yeah, we're talking about that one of my classes, um, and my professor played a clip not realizing that that was the exact weekend over which um, Robin Williams had passed away. So when he played that specific clip where everyone's standing on their desk saying, oh, Captain, my Captain, like half the class like burst into tears. And he's like, oh my God, what just happened? And then someone had to tell him like, Robin Williams just died like yesterday. And the professor like left the classroom for a minute. <laughs> it's like, it was a very sad moment, but um, really, really hits. Um, for my personally, I like to do a double feature of Dead Poet Society followed up by Goodwill Hunting and Ooh. pretend that's the same character, headcanon, same guy, and uh, it really hits different. Personally, um, John, I would if if you if you've not seen uh, Rain Over Me, Spanglish, I really love. Spanglish. Rain Over Me is such a sad fucking movie. It is. It's so very sad. Though. He's Sandler's really good in it. The movie itself isn't great. Um, Spanglish, I really enjoyed. Punch Drunk Love is good. Um, obviously, Uncut Gems, as of you know, recent memory, being like, my God, you know. But I really think, and again, maybe I I'm do wrong. absolutely agree with this, but uh, we weren't comparing them, right? Um, it, uh, but you know, maybe you know, I look at somebody like Bill Murray, and it's like it really wasn't until he got into his fifties and sixties that he was getting a chance to really kind of dive deep and do movies like lost in translation and broken flowers and stuff like that. And I'm really hoping, I'm really hoping that Adam Sandler can get those opportunities. Um, unfortunately, yes, he makes a lot of shitty comedies that are on Netflix now and all that sort of stuff. San Sandy Wexler was okay. But like Hubie Halloween, it's like, dude, you're better than this. Like, you're a good actor. You know, you just, they got to give them, they got to give them parts. And unfortunately, you know, Tom Holland's in every movie. So. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a whole, whole thing. Yeah. Um, so I will say um, something I mentioned at the top of the show is that um, a lot in the 80s, we were still having slow theatrical rollouts. And so a lot of these movies lasted in the theaters for a really long time. If you look at some of the uh, longest theatrical runs in history, uh, not counting like like consecutive. So I had to pull out um, Rocky Horror Picture Show. Um, most of these are from the 80s. E.T., 82, 16 weeks. Beverly Hills Cop, 14 weeks from 84. Tootsie, wow. 82, 14 weeks. Home Alone, or no, sorry, that's 1990. Back to the Future, 11 weeks in 85. Ghostbusters, 10 weeks from 84. Crocodile Dundee, 9 weeks. Uh, Good Morning Vietnam, 89. Fatal Attraction, 89. Porky's, 82. So all of these, but two movies. Um have you know the longest box office run like that's it's very very crazy but again that was just it's a dip it's sometimes it's really difficult to compare um movies throughout the years because there's not there's so many other external factors that it's really difficult to make one-to-one -one comparisons well and in the in the pre-covid world pretty much starting in the early 2010s and going all the way up to 2020 you know it's like again 
we're talking about these huge movies that came out in the 80s, but it's like those were a lot of the big movies that came out. Now we're in a we're in a cycle where it's like every four weeks there's a big tentpole film coming out. So it's like these movies they come out, they make all their money the first two or three weeks that they're that they're around, and then they drop off significantly because there's the next movie swooping in to eat up you know another billion dollars or a half billion dollars or two billion dollars. And as of as of recent, uh, Spider-Man: Far From Home because of the current situation that we were in where we're finally starting to get back to the normal system. Um, but it was a little bit slow taken off because COVID was still around. You had a movie like Spider-Man far from home that could literally just dominate week after week after week. Scream came out. That was number one. It dropped to two, but then the next week it was back at number one. Why? No competition, you know, but that's short lived. Trust me there's enough movies coming out this year. It's going to go back to the old cycle. So I was going to say also the reason I originally made these lists and to be clear, I made these, uh, right. I wrote all these up every single graph for every year using HTML. So I had to make like, um, I think I made, Oh my God. Eight, uh, 70s, 80s, 90s. I made 50, to 60 graphs written all out in HTML to make these dumb things. But the reason is I was trying to make a point that it is, you cannot, I mean, you can, but you really can't make one-to-one comparisons for like, like biggest box office movies because it's not just inflation. Right. There's differences in way how movies are released internationally. There's differences in how things rolled out. There's just, there's too many, um, things and too many variables to compare. There so was the no China box really office when Gone with the Wind came out. So you, the only way you can really compare is you can compare two movies that also came out in that same time period. But I thought it was interesting. So I went on Letterboxd and I just went most popular all time for the decade of the 80s. Um, it's a big list, but a lot of these we saw and a lot of these we didn't. Like the first movie is The Shining. That didn't, you know, make the top box office in the year 1980. Um, and then, you know, we have Back to the Future. Yeah, Blade Runner, um, Breakfast Club, Totoro and Akira, just below it. The, we don't have really any foreign films in our in our box office. Um, they rarely do, but we hear they are very popular. A lot of these are uh, with My Neighbor Totoro, Kiki's Delivery Service, Castle in the Sky. So we're having majority of these being Studio Ghibli films. Um, Brazil down here towards the bottom next to the Elephant Man, Rain Man, and Video Drone. Um, Brazil is a phenomenal film. If you've never seen it, oh my God, watch it. Definitely, definitely watch it. I'm going to go ahead and hide this, but I still have the picture pulled up on my computer. Um, we'll post the photos in Discord uh, in the Discord too. So if you guys want to check them out later and look at them. Like Clue was also one of the highest grossing, or no, I'm sorry. Woo. Clue was one of the most popular films. It came out in 85, same year as Back to the Future. Um, you know, Christopher Lloyd was having a good, good year. But like a lot of these movies, you know, their 80s, I think more than any other decade had so many cult classics like The Evil Dead that just bombed at the box office so hard. But there's so much nostalgia and love for it today. The Thing is on here as one of the most um, popular films from the 1980s. Heathers. I love Heathers. Heathers is good. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Little Mermaid, I'm surprised, is the most popular American animated film. 
I'm surprised that, that didn't that wasn't in the top 10 for 1989 because you got to I mean again based on the way all of our brains are wired these days you get a Disney animated movie for a whole family that's going to shoot right up to the top 5 you know in today's world you know which is why they in Nero B in that movie but maybe I just missed Brazil? him uh, I never saw Brazil Oh it's phenomenal you might like that I'm not sure Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, a lot of really, really great movies. And then just because I'm crazy, I also pulled up um, my favorite movies by rank for the decade of the 1980s. So it doesn't, um, it just puts it by rank. So it's not how I would personally order them. Um, but I, but like some of my favorite films from the 1980s would be Princess Bride, would be Back to the Future, Lost Boys, Ghostbusters, American Werewolf in London, or yeah, uh, Gremlins, The Burbs. Oh my God, another phenomenal Joe Dante film. Stand by me, Big Trouble Little China. They lived. Thing, Twin Peaks. I would put. I would put honestly. I do like Nightmare Two, Freddy's Revenge over Dream Warriors. I know sacrilege, but come on, give me that queer, queer Kruger shit, man. Just give it to me. Uh, Better Off Dead. Field of Dreams, Brazil. We have the first Scooby-Doo movie, Scooby-Doo the Reluctant Werewolf. Um, uh, Land Before Time. Come on. V? Who doesn't love V? The Keep? Fucking love I've never seen V. And I see Paul's mentioned it in the chat. What's V about? So V was two miniseries and then a television show with Mark Singer. Um, I think... Michael Ironside doesn't come in until the TV show, if I'm correct. He wasn't in either miniseries. I could be wrong on that. Absolutely reanimator. We all know it to be true. Um, Anyway, uh, yes. So V is about some aliens who come to Earth, and it is a analogy for, like, Nazis and anti-Semitism and stuff like that. It is really fun, really well done, uh, very 80s, very I think I remember them doing a bit on it for like, I love the eighties or I love the eighties volume two or something when I was. Yeah, probably. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's or another film I have in here. Fright night, the, the 1988, the blob remake, one of the best remakes, uh, the wizard. I love the wizard with Fred Savage. Oh yes, 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 yes. 90 minute Nintendo commercial would recommend, uh, adventures in babysitting right up there with don't tell mom the babysitter's dead. Great. Solar babies. Come on. The stepfather, Terry O'Quinn, going, Who am I here? is one of the most terrifying moments in all of horror films. Stepfather. I I down. Stepfather. Yes, yes, yes. Um, Eight Men Out. Great baseball film. So sad. So, so sad. Eh, Raising Arizona. Gotta love the Coen Brothers. Young Nick Cage. Heck yeah. Commando. Now that's an action movie. That's remember what, remember when that's I probably said my movie favorite Schwarzenegger lost? action movie. That's your favorite Schwarzenegger action movie? Okay. I think so. I think so. It's a good one. Yeah. Okay, so now I will take a moment to talk about 80s vampire films because people ask for it. Oh my gosh. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> <sighs> okay, so obviously, I mean, we're talking 80s vampire movies. The Lost Boys, Fright Night, Near Dark underrated near dark um who directed it It wasn't catherine bigelow it was a woman though i think it was catherine bigelow i'm bad with names we all know this to be true um i mean showmacher did the lost boys now the lost boys is very interesting because it 
It's one of the first, yes, the hunger. Absolutely, PLD. Oh my God, yes. So fun, so fun. Uh, can you tell I, I can't think of the person's name who's in it? Send help. Let me look He's it up. a singer. He's got the lightning bolt. Oh, I've typed in the Hunger Games. Uh, singer with the lightning bolt. Film. Super famous, two different colored eyes. David Bowie. What is his name? Yes, David Bowie is in it. And also, that movie starts with Bela Lugosi's Dead, one of my favorite songs. Ooh. Such a good song. Yes, yes, yes. Anyway, so back to The Lost Boys. So The Lost Boys is interesting because one, I mean, just phenomenal soundtrack. Two, Schumacher. How, like, I can absolutely see watching The Lost Boys why they picked him to do the Batman movies after Tim Burton. You could definitely see the transition. But what The Lost Boys is interesting is this, this is one of the favorite films, or well, this is one of the first films where we're focused on uh, teen vampires and like how cool it is to be a vampire. And these are California vampires, so obviously they are cool. Um, and we get a little bit of the town. We have Tim Capello as the saxiest man alive and one of the most famous sax scenes ever. I'm saying S-A-X to be clear. Um, I just want to make that a point. Um, but this, this is a movie where we really start to get into teen vampire movies. Also just the eighties in general is where we first really get into making movies for teenagers. And I think that does come because of Lucas American graffiti, um, which I have seen at the drive-in, but yes. Ooh, that's cool. Now Lost Boys came out two years after Fright Night. Fright Night is also a teen vampire movie, but it's not about a teenager. It's basically Suspiria, but with teenagers. And we have, you know, this is another one of those, we're, we're hunting vampires. The vampire's the bad guy. And oh my God, can we just talk about Chris Sarandon as a vampire? Yes. Perfection. When he goes over, like, I don't understand. Like, okay, so he goes to like pull down a drape. And he like does this. And somehow it's the most erotic thing I've ever seen. <laughs> it is just, I don't understand how someone's nails can look that pretty. It's ridiculous, ridiculous. <laughs> but I don't necessarily know if, so I feel like Bright Night only did one thing to really change vampire genre. And that is, this is one of the times where we really see the vampire bite being very erotic. It's always been kind of like sexual because of like the penetration angle, but this is the first time where when the man bites the girl, she becomes something beautiful and we see that transformation. I think this is the kind of the first time. Um, I was watching interview with the vampire last night and some guys were talking about it. Uh, I have to pull the name of the channel. I think they're called a fan view or something like that. Um, and uh, like last month that was a really good movie yeah and i think that's the first time that we see a man bite another man on screen on the neck because like i can't remember if near dark did that but near dark i think it's one of the first times we get like this is the story from the point of view of the vampires and it's grizzled and dirty and i really like that but at the end of the day all these movies are we need to undo being a vampire. We need to stop the vampires. Even if we are becoming a vampire, we need to kill the head vampire so we can stop becoming the vampire kind of situation. And it's not until interview with the vampire that 
we're cool with being a vampire. Being a vampire is what it's about. This is from our point of view. We're not trying to unbecome the undead. That sentence, I think. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. But as PLD was talking about earlier with the hunger, that's also another one where we're, we're seeing it's sexy to be a vampire. But at the end of the day, that being a vampire is undoing. So in the 80s, we still had that being a vampire is your undoing. And it's really not until the 90s where we see a turn away from that. And we go further into like the eroticism that uh, exists for being a vampire. And that we're really seeing like more acceptance which is, I think, kind of an interesting word to use for that. I don't know if anyone else feels differently, but it's like, it's not, the vampires aren't necessarily the bad guys. The vampires are, the vampires have stories to tell, which it's weird that it took to the 90s to get there. Like when you can have a character who can be hundreds, if not thousands of years old, like that's so much more interesting than a person hunting them and making them a monster, like, right? It's it's crazy that it took you know centuries to to make that change and to kind of flip that around. But I mean, going I mean, back going to what back we to talked what about we talked last about week last with like the haze code, code and stuff, stuff you, know, you know, I mean, you're I mean, already, already kind of going, you know, into the fifties with every you know the bad guy can't you know the bad guy can't win basically, and then you know, you know a lot more about horror and vampire movies than I do, but from what from what I do know it got to a point in the fifties where, you know, sci-fi movies were far more popular than monster films. And, you know, the Dracula's and the Frankenstein's kind of took a back seat until the 1980s. So I also want to mention uh, a couple of vampire movies. Once Bitten with Jim Carrey, very young Jim Carrey, which is a pretty funny movie. And it kind of, at that point flips around an old story, which is like the vampire needs to bite, you know, a virgin. But in this case, we have a gender reversal where it's a female vampire who's biting young Jim Carrey, who's a virgin. And they're making a lot of jokes about um, that, which I feel like in the 80s is uh, very topical and interesting. And then we also have um, My Best Friend is a Vampire, which I don't think was intentionally, but ends up being kind of an allegory for being queer. And it's with, oh my God, I can't remember this guy's name. He, he was also one of the students in... Um, uh, Sean something. He was one of the students in the Dead Poet Society. And he was also, Sean Austin. Um, what? Is it Sean Austin? I don't know. Uh, hang on. Sam from Lord of the Rings? No, 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 no. Um, he's in, um, fucking House MD. Oh, Hugh Laurie. No, the other guy. I don't know. Like, you keep shouting out names and just let me look up. Robert Sean Leonard. Um, so Robert Sean Leonard is in that movie. And he's in a lot. He plays a lot of characters that are like, this is an allegory for being queer. Like, there's a lot of jokes about that. Um, but My Best Friends of Vampire is where we're, we're doing. He um, becomes a vampire. And he's trying to ward off people who are hunting him. So that's what I'm saying. That's This is kind of at the end of the 80s where we're starting to get that transition where it's, this is now from the point of view of the vampire, where we're not trying to unbecome a vampire. This is the first one where it's like, I'm a vampire and I need to uh, accept that and make changes to my life and go about my day. And there are people who are trying to persecute me for being a vampire. You can see the allegory for being queer now. Um, 
I think that's really the first movie that did it. And it's unfortunate that's not really a movie that's well known. I think it was very much outshined by the very comedic, similar film that is Once Bitten. And then we also have another funny musical one, which is Rockula, that I just wanted to talk about because it's a fun movie. It's a, he's a vampire who, oh my God, he falls in love with this woman who keeps getting murdered on her 22nd Halloween um, by a pirate wielding a ham bone. So she keeps getting reborn. He keeps meeting her, falling in love with her, and she keeps getting murdered when she's 22 on Halloween by a pirate wielding a ham bone because his mom, um, who's the woman who sings, oh, Mickey, you're so fine, you're so fine. Whoever that woman is, she's in it, and she plays his mother. Um, so whoever, whoever that is. Can you can tell I'm really bad I'm at me? Basil? Yes, she plays his mother. It's a very, very funny movie, very low budget, just ridiculous vampire film. Um, would recommend. Vampire's Kiss, yes. Also in the 80s. I um, need to watch that movie, yeah. It's very similar to Romero's uh, film Martin from 1977. Um, in this one, we get, like Martin, it is open to interpretation on whether or not you actually think Nicolas Cage's character is actually a vampire, which I really, really like. Um, you could think he's crazy and delusional, or you can think he is a vampire, or both. I personally think both. <laughs> um, but what's interesting about that, and when you hear him talk about um, his portrayal of this character, is that he was very much going for German Expressionism, um, specifically Nosferatu, the 1922 film. And it's it's interesting. There are a lot of gifts of, of Nicolas Cage, like, really blowing up. And as this character, it's if you watch it from the point of view of his secretary, it is a absolute horror movie. He basically is like, yeah, it's a it's a fucking nightmare. Like this poor woman is just trying to do her job and her boss is like screaming at her all the time. And then he sexually assaults her. It's crazy. It's the very crazy movie. He's just having an uh, an insane. He's just having an insane. The alphabet scene, yes, is very much uh, all over the interwebs. Um, he never misfiles anything. Not once, not ever. Um, very fun movie. Uh, very sad movie. <laughs> um, but again, this is one of those movies where I really talk about, like, in terms of, like, Nicolas Cage's being a performer, not necessarily an actor, that's definitely one of the ones I bring up. Particularly when you hear him, how discuss, like, how he went into the role. It's really, really interesting. I really like it. What are some other 80s vampire movies? Um, if anyone can think of any, I'm not, I'm not great at thing. On a side note, every, everyone should watch Reanimator, not vampires, but fun. And I could definitely talk about it for 15 hours, never underestimate me. You're on mute, Rob. Rob, mute. You're looking up vampire movies from the 80s. While you do that, I was going to talk about, for me, the 1980s is the early period of, hey, we can make sequels and make money and all this sort of stuff. And sure, with yeah. that, I mean, I'm going to be I'm going to be blunt. For me, the 80s, it's Indiana Jones. It's the Star Wars sequels. It's movies like Die Hard, Lethal Weapon, First Blood, the Rocky sequels. Those are the big takeaways for me from the 80s. There were great movies. Um, Amadeus, for example, great film. Uh, one Best Picture. Driving Miss Daisy, not so much. Rain Man was great. Uh, Platoon's fine. 
out of Africa's fine. Um, Gandhi was really good, you know, and it's, it's interesting because it's like, you know, so those are like big, you know, let's say award winners. Right. And then we're talking specifically more box office on obviously on this episode, but, uh, it's the big takeaways for me are the action movies that came out in the 1980s and the comedies that came out in the 1980s. And then some that could do both at the same time. Those are my big, my big takeaways. In the 1980s. I mean, I could do a whole thing on the Lost Boys. I okay. We got me and you have got to watch that movie before we're going to do anything on the Lost Boys. I need to watch the damn thing. Okay. On a side note, the only other vampire movies I'm really seeing are like um, Six Five Thousand, Transylvania Six Five Thousand, which I like, but that's not actually a vampire movie. Um, Vamp. It's been too long since I've seen it. I don't remember it very well. Now, then you get a Polish vampire in Burbank, which is a play on an American War from London. Never saw that movie either. A little, a little disappointed. Well, I'm sorry. What now? I never saw an American Werewolf from London. I know John Landis directed it, and I'm a huge. I love, I love the Blues Brothers that he also directed. Lego's looking at me like, "Are you gonna get in your your car and drive up here and strangle me?" You, you should watch an American Werewolf in London. You. Should, I hear it's you good. I also need to watch. Uh, oh my Pride. god, the makeup! Um, was it? Hang on, hang on. No, you're good. It's interesting because when we so I'll talk while she's talking. We're gonna do. We have the next few episodes planned out, and then we're gonna start our decades series at some point in April. Um, we'll probably do two weeks. Okay, it is. Twenties, thirties, take a week off. Forties, fifties, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, when we get to the 1970s, I have a feeling I'll be the one schooling Lego on the best films of the 1970s. Greatest decade. <laughs> Rick Baker. <laughs> Rob is a jigsaw movie, so the pieces are under the couch. <laughs> Lego, I can't hear you. Okay, so I wanted to double check that uh, Rick Baker is the guy who did the makeup because I get him confused with the guy who did the makeup for the Howling. Um, but if you don't know anything about an American Warwolf in London, know this. Rick Baker is amazing. The practical werewolf transformation in that movie is legendary, and it should be. And honestly, underrated. Oh, my God. The, the decaying makeup for David. I'm sorry, not David. Jack is not talked about enough like every time you see him he looks just rotted and disgusting it is so impressive rick baker they that was the first year that they had an academy i think it's an academy award for um the practical effect like makeup and he won it for that movie and it is absolutely earned uh, rick baker i mean because uh, who did the makeup for the howling why am i so bad with names the guy who did the makeup for The Howling um, originally was working with Rick Baker. And he, I think originally Rick Baker was also going to do the makeup for The Howling with, I'm not saying a name. Oh, his project. Okay, Rob Botton. So Rob Botton went on to then do uh, the makeup for The Thing. Now, of course, we all know when you're talking practical effects, you can't not talk The Thing. The Thing is the most fucking impressive damn movie. Are you kidding? That dog, when the dogs come up 
and their mouth opens, if you look carefully, you can see like when it flowers out kind of, that they use like dog tongues to make it do that. Like the detail, the bubble gum. It's gross and amazing. Yeah. Phenomenal. But back to Rob Botton, um, when he they had the competing werewolf movies of The Howling and An American Werewolf in London. And Rob Botton's The Howling makeup is really, really good. The transformation the one guy does when he has like the <laughs> the like the Lost Boys tier, like Heather Sutherland does, is really good. But it is nothing on what the fuck uh, Rick Baker was doing on An American Werewolf in London. I mean, that... That might be one of the most impressive visual effects ever, right? Am I right? Maybe I'm not right. I don't know. But it is impressive as hell. I think I think they did like a recreation of it to kind of show you like what it looks like. And it's it's just, even then, it's not as good. It's not as good. Yeah. If you think the howling is better, Jimmy. That's really interesting. Um, I'm not a huge, huge, huge fan of The Howling, not not compared to what I am of an American Werewolf in London. American Werewolf in London is first and foremost, it's kind of a rom-com that happens to have a werewolf. And you have like, and it's a really good friendship movie between Jack and David that just takes a really wrong turn <laughs> very early on. And it teaches you a lot of horror movie lessons. You know, when an old person tells you to stick to the road, what do you do? You stick to the road. In fact, let's take a move. Let's take a back seat. Let's take a step back and talk 80s movie horror, horror movie rules. When an old man in a gas station tells you to turn back and go the way you came, what do you do, children? Sit around. Come, take a seat. We'll, we'll have a lesson. You turn yourself around. And you go back the way you came. Okay? We don't play this. We all been seen Friday the 13th. We all saw Turn of the Corn. I, they do this more in a lot of remakes. But in a lot of candle movies. Do you want to be eaten? No. Turn around and go back the way you came. Come on. Wrong turn. Let's go. <sighs> Ridiculous. <laughs> um, yeah, that's very, very true. It's, it's not low-key funny. It's absolutely hilarious. I think... Very much an opinion, but in terms of like actually being a good horror comedy that is not just funny, but actually has scary moments, America Warrior in London hits the nail on the head. Very, very much does a good job, I think personally. There are very few good horror comedies that actually have horror. Um, there are a lot of like movies that have horror elements that are just comedies like the final girls from i think it's 2015 or 2016 is definitely one of those movies also one i would really recommend but you know most movies once you do horror comedy typically you lose the, the actual horror aspect of it which is unfortunate which is very unfortunate but anyway back to my rick baker spiel rick baker definitely definitely i would recommend if you have an opportunity to look up like makeup department credits for like Rick Baker and Rob Botton because I mean but going back and forth you're gonna see a lot of really really great um films and Bobby a lot of really Finstock. great practical effects. Bobby Finstock. Bobby okay Finstock. so we weren't talking werewolf uh movies per se because I've never really done a deep dive on werewolf movies. Teen Wolf I think is a fun 
I just want to say one thing. Um, you keep ranting. I'm kind of fading, so I, don't mind me. I'm just kind of, just kind of chilling. So Rob's gonna just slowly sink. Anyway, Teen Wolf. Yes. Um, you know what? That actually had a pretty legit transformation scene. Um, I think it's a really fun movie. Definitely not a horror comedy. It's just a comedy for me. Um. But that's me personally. I mean, if you're a kid, maybe I think it would be a really good like intro to horror movies for like kids. If you want to start letting like your kid like watch horror films, I think both of those. But definitely Teen Wolf for a younger crowd. Um, I don't think Michael J. Fox has ever been in like an actual straight up horror movie. Closest would be The Frighteners, which I actually really like. The Frighteners, another Busey film, and has uh, Jeffrey Combs. Who, of course, we know from Reanimator. Listen, I won't go on an hour on Reanimator or 15, but just know I could. I could. I just need that to be known. Thank you for your time. Uh, but in terms of like, yeah, special effects and practical effects, I don't think any decade did it better than the 80s because the 80s, they got really experimental. And they realized that it was a draw. And they really, like, a lot of these guys really fucking cared. And you can see it. And I, I really love that. There are a lot, like, 80s wardrobe. Like, 80s, yeah. It was fun. It was fun. There are a lot of, there are a lot of, like, characters that you can do a great job, like, um, dressing up as. Um... Okay, so anything else we should talk about? Because we've been going for two hours. No, um, it it the eighties is definitely your, I think your favorite decade. Is that safe to say? That is safe to say. So at some point this year, we're gonna we're gonna cover the nineteen set. We're still gonna we're gonna cover the nineteen eighties at some point this year and talk about film from nineteen eighty and like achievements, technological achievements, and all that sort of stuff. Rick so, Baker. Sure. Sure. Um, but again, um, the two decades I'm most excited about to cover this year are the 1940s and the 1970s. So we've got a lot to talk about. Uh, hope you guys are digging this kind of new format we're doing that we started last week. Um, or rather with the rom-com episode for Valentine's day. Uh, we are going on hiatus for two weeks. Next week, we're going to have the game of Thrones match, uh, on Thursday night. Um, I'll, Again, find me on Discord. It's free. You can join the Discord. We talk about it in there. Uh, talk about it on here. Uh, really excited about that match. Um, me and Joe Burrows will be calling that one. We've got a whole slew of awesome competitors, a few managers showing up. It's going to be great. Will Lawrence Goldstein come back for some commercials this year? We don't know. We don't know. Um, and then the following week, the week of St. Patrick's Day, we will be taking that Thursday night off, I believe. Is that correct, Lego? Yes. Yes, that is correct. Because Lego will also not be available. Um, but we will pick things back up the week after that. I do believe we are doing women, powerful women in Hollywood. Um, I, that's going to be a lot of fun. Expect a lot of rants from Lego. Uh, I'm going to start working on the montage, the opening montage for it this weekend. Um but yeah, housekeeping wise, that's, I just wanted to make all those announcements and stuff. Uh, we've got everyday experts this weekend. It's Joker's 30th episode. Uh, hats off to him because uh, him and Matt, it's what's cool about the RFN is we all work together. 
because we're stronger together than we are alone. But me and Lego kind of handle one end of the spectrum and Matt and Joker handle the other end of the spectrum. And then I would throw Glenn in with them as well because he's got Glenn energy and him and Joker have discourse together. So it's a lot of it's a lot of cool stuff. Um, no, it's my my own Discord, Jeremy. Uh, I'll find the link real quick if you want to start closing things out. Lego, anything else you want to talk about from the eighties? Uh, from the nineteen eighties, I mean, I can go on about this, but it would just be about horror movies. <laughs> um, if I like, I said on my own channel, I've done a lot of like eighties films. If anyone is interested, you can hit me up and I can send you leaks to anything, or if you just want to talk about them, I love to talk about them, and I can at nauseum. So happy to talk about them if anyone wants to continue the conversation. Um, we will be going, like Rob said, through the uh, box offices through the decades. We will not be signing at the 18th. Not, not box offices through the decades. Film through the just, decades. Just, yeah, film through the decades. Uh, box office will be covered, but yes. Um, 1880s. Uh, this is maybe a little further back. We might, you know, just cover 1800s in general, maybe? What, I don't know. What, what, I think we what, wanted what, to start... I think we wanted to start with the 1920s because I really had to fight Rob to met, let me do the 1920s and 1930s. Rob didn't want to. For, it's almost like he doesn't want to discuss okay. German expressionism uh, and the Weimar Republic. Lego, Lego what does not speak for me. So I wanted to start with, I, okay, I wanted to start with the 1940s because I wasn't sure if Lego wanted to cover the 1930s. I was down to cover the 1930s as I've, I've seen a lot of movies from the 1930s. I figured, yes, we're going to start with the 20s. But what we'll probably do is do a half hour up top and talk about the history of film up to the 1920s and then cover the 1920s for the remainder of the program. Then, starting with the 1930s, it can have its own hour to two hour episode, if that makes sense. Does that make sense? I think that makes sense. Yes, we can start with the 1880s because... Well, so, there's not enough to talk about. <laughs> That's there's, not a, there's not a lot to talk about, no. 1800s in general. Um, well, from my Why? point of view, I had to fight Rob to get the 1920s and okay. 30s. For one, physically a lot stronger, but I would not That's fight That's true, I back. would literally die. I wouldn't fight, but why, you know, I, you know, I'm not going to fight back. So you would just have to, you would win. I would be happy to do that. Because I wanted to start with oh, sure. uh, that two-second clip of a black man riding a horse. But that's uh, one pretty far back. What's, that, what's the name I'll... of that movie that's coming out that plays that clip in the trailer? Nope. 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 Maybe we'll do an episode prior to the 1920s and just talk about the, the beginning of film and then do the 1920s. It's okay. I don't think we're qualified. So let's just start with the 1920s. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. all right everybody uh if you haven't gotten a chance do us a favor hit that like button you've been here long enough you might as well like the video um after this video is over with if you could do us a huge favor no pressure leave a comment it can just be hey how you doing you know anything you want really helps with the algorithms as we try and grow this channel and these shows to try to get more views so we can continue to bring you guys the best content possible um and like i said join the discord it's free uh, we hang out in there. I have hot takes on things, usually with politics, and Lego Lego and I argue all the time. And it's it's fun if you're just a fly on the wall and you want to watch some of that stuff go down. But yeah, lots of fun. Uh, Lego, what do you got going on? Where can everybody find you at? Um, eh, you know, 
I can be found at Legoland13 on all kinds of social media platforms, including this one. And if I like you, I'll let you be my friend because I'm all private and stuff like that. Mysterious. Um, still going through bad horror movies. I should have my Ouija Shark review up within the next couple days. Uh, I do have the Shark Exorcist and Sharks of the Corn up. Uh, looking to do some more. Maybe Robo Vampire. That's an interesting 80s vampire film. Cool. And you can find me all over God's Green Earth at Rob Fishbeck. Just look me up. I'm all over the place. Uh, I want to thank everybody for joining me, uh, joining us, rather. I apologize. And uh, we'll see you guys very soon. Lego, you got anything else you want to say before we get out of here? No, thank you for watching. Sorry it was so long. You guys have a great night. We'll see y'all later.